everyone. Welcome to the Side Hit Podcast. I'm Fat Tony, and today with us we've got Mike Hygeman. Welcome, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, bro. Crow, bro. bro. <laughs> I'm tired. Tired? <laughs> you uh, getting all ready in Macarora and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, I drove down from Christchurch uh, yesterday afternoon, and it's been really hot, so the sun's tired me out, and I caught up with a good crew. A couple of the lads have got a really crazy band called Slows, so they played in the kitchen last night, and it was a good catch-up. By, by a couple of lads, I take it you mean a couple of couple of infamous New Zealand snowboard legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Rion and Ollie. Everyone knows who they are. We're running our age group anyway. Mm, well, I'm hoping to have Ollie on the show. Uh, oh, yeah, sweet. Time, so. That'll be funny. It'll be yeah. interesting to hear what he's got to say. We've all got stories to tell. Mm, well, he's going to have a disclaimer. It's going to be like... <laughs> The, the views of this guest is not necessarily the views of the Side Hit podcast, etc., yeah, etc., yeah. et yeah. but I can't wait to have him on and, yeah, it'll be and funny. hearing what he's got to say. It'll be funny for sure. How long are you down this way for? Um, I'm actually heading back up to Christchurch tomorrow. The weather's going to turn to shit tomorrow, so it'll be nice to drive in a bit of coolness as well. And um, I'm just kind of hanging out in, on the, my nephew's property up at uh, Port Robinson at the moment doing a bit of work on the land for him up there but I'm probably coming back down to Wanaka because I miss it oh, sweet. I miss all the crew down here so mountains yeah. are calling mountains are calling winter's coming again I missed out last year so yep sweet so I guess we'll start from the beginning uh, where are you from and how did you get into snowboarding right okay so I was born in Ashburton I don't tell too many people that but Ashburton is where I was born and dad packed us up when I was about six and we Moved up to Fakatani in the North Island. Um, and we lived actually at a Hopi Beach initially, which is amazing compared to Ashburn. It was a complete flip side. So, of course, started hanging out in the ocean and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, sweet. And so, how did snowboarding come about? Well, when I was in um, Whakatane, um we had friends in Mount Monganui and their son Wayne and I became good mates. We were just grommets and skateboarding was kind of a thing at the time. Um, there's no no real street style yet then, it was just ramps and bowls. So that's sort of the vert, the 80s vert sort of thing? Yeah, no, even before then, I'm talking the 70s. Oh, like Dogtown Z-Boys? Yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my brother and I saved up for our first skateboard, which we shared and fought over. <laughs> and um, it was a like a slalom board. It was a real flat fiberglass deck. It was quite narrow. It had massive big three-inch wheels on it. But that was the thing, you know, so we yeah. bought that. Um, but, yeah, the snowboarding side of it happened because I was hanging out with my mate Wayne in Mount Manui, and their neighbours across the road, it was this guy, Mike Gibb. I don't know if anyone knows him, but he's an interesting character. And he used to go skiing um, in Colorado. So our summers, he'd bugger off for a month or two. And, and he came back. I oh, used to make our skateboard decks for us. He was called Ice Age Designs. And um, he came back from the States once and he had this board. And it must, I don't know what board it was because I don't remember seeing a label on or anything, but it was his ply. And it was obviously one of the very early snowboards. And I just started a um, woodworking apprenticeship, and so had Wayne, funnily enough. We were buddies and we are just doing the same as what each other was doing. And we decided we are going to make our own snowboards, so yeah, made my own board. Sweet, and so 
just plywood cut into a shape, urethane yep. base sort of thing? Or? Nah, nah, nothing like that. Because that, um, I didn't know anything about skiing. We'd only been up to Mount River Pehu twice when I was a kid with mum and dad. Because skiing was for rich people, mm. and we weren't rich people. You know, I grew up in a state house and all that. And But um, dad took us to the snow a couple of times just to check it out, and we sort of just slide around on a plastic rubbish bag. So I knew nothing about skis. So the first thing I kind of saw that was made for the snow was the snowboard that Mike Gibb had brought back from the States. But it was just timber. There was no edges on it. It was just timber. And it was just the shape of one of those old school swallowtail, like those early Burtons. No metal edges on them, just just wood. Right, so cut that into shape and then straight up to Rapeu sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. It was funny. We were doing a surf trip over to... Um, Nanaki, Taranaki, and we took these boards with us. So we went from, oh, he stopped in, in Hamilton and picked up his cousin who was a skier, and we went straight to Whakapapa. And um, I had a surfboard leash on my board because I was surfing at that point, and so I just thought, well, I'll put a leash on it. Had no idea what to do, had a big long leash on it. Um, I made it a, a thruster because I was riding a thruster surfboard at the time because that was the go. So this is 1980, probably 83, I think, like 83 or 84 that this happened. <laughs> and because I hadn't really been to the snow, only as a kid, and I just remember it being wet and cold, because it'd be just wet and cold at the end of it, and we'd drive back to Tulpa and jump in the hot pools. So like swan dry and jeans? No, I had a wetsuit on. Wetsuit? Okay. <laughs> and it was a wetsuit that I just bought from um, a dive shop because it was the only one I could afford. They had a special on their um, dive suits and I needed a winter steamer and it was like six mil and it was really thick and I bought it um, and it was really hard to paddle in because it was a dive suit. It's not made for paddling. So it sucked as a surf suit. And then going to the snow, I'm like, oh, I'll wear that. It's going to be wet and cold. Man, I cooked. It was so hot. I was sweating like a dog. It was stupid. <laughs> it was stupid. And the worst thing about it, I wish we had got photos. Of course, there's no cell phones or anything like that. They hadn't even been thought about. Um, and we didn't get any photos, but I wish I had because my wetsuit uh, was black and gold. It was a gold, had a big gold panel on the front. And you imagine the skiers, I remember we were in line, there was only a T-bar, only a T-bar was operating, and uh, I'd never seen a T-bar before, didn't know what to do, and people would have been looking at us really weird, eh, because we were holding these boards made out of plywood under our arms, and I had a gold and black wetsuit on. Did your, board, did your board have any sort of binding device? Or? Yeah, yeah, seatbelt strap. <laughs> yeah, mean. yeah, yeah. Because I just I just did it on what I remember seeing that this board that Mike Gibb had, had brought back from the States, and that's what it had. It had seatbelt strap on the top, so it had a fixing point at each end and in the middle, so you just slip your feet underneath. Holy shit, so mm. first day up, real pay. Yeah, um, no, no we, edges. we couldn't, no edges, and the T-bar thing didn't work. It was just disaster, and the lifty... Of course, lost his patience with us. So, um, Derek, Wayne's cousin, is really gone. He's up there on the skis. So, Wayne and I started walking. Oh, and I had wetsuit booties on. So, three steps forward and two back. It was yeah. hopeless, hopeless. And it was really hot and sweaty. And we eventually got up about halfway up the slope and um, dug a bit of a platform and just sat down and rested and thought, okay, what are we, how are we going to do this? 
And we were just thinking about surfing and skating because that's all we'd ever done. So just slip your feet under the seatbelt straps and point it down and do a bottom turn. And um, we did that twice. I ended up with a fat lip. Went back down, drove to the Naki, surfed at Patia, which was pretty awesome, where the Patia Māori Club come from. And that was the end of my snowboarding uh, at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was about 1983. Put it away, put it in the woodshed at home. That, just because that experience didn't, didn't work, work how you thought it was going to work? Yeah, yeah. Sort of and, we, and, we, and there was nothing in the magazines or anything. Hadn't, didn't know. All we'd seen was Mike Gibbs' board that he'd brought back from the States. So we had no idea how it should work, what it would look like or anything. So just decided that that doesn't work we might try that another time so just back to the surfboard and skateboard for a while yeah yeah just kept surfing and skating and then in 87 uh, moved to Australia for the surfing went to the Gold Coast spent a couple of years there got sick of the Goldie went down to Victoria now my Aussie accent's coming out <laughs> I was hopeless when I was over there <laughs> I kept getting hassled because my Kiwi accent you <laughs> hassled my Kiwi accent over there and I get back to New Zealand and all the crew are going fuck you sound like an Aussie I'm like no <laughs> but as soon as I start talking about Australia I start talking like an Australian <laughs> well, that's alright to our Australian <laughs> listeners when we're going yeah, with a whole lot of uh, accents here in yeah, yeah yeah classic so it was funny because I so I get down to Victoria and um, didn't know anyone down there, but my sister lived down there, um, down on the Mornington Peninsula, a beautiful spot just south of Melbourne, ocean on one side, Port Phillip Bay on the other. Anyway, her best mate, um, Linda Ross, Linda Ross's two brothers surfed, and so my sister said, you got to go and meet those boys, because they'll, they're cool, and you can hang out with them, and they'll show you where to go surfing and whatnot, and I used to be really shy when I was younger. And um, so you know, I've gone around to the bakery where they worked, and this dude goes, "Oh, you must be Ali's brother. We're knocking off in half an hour." Went around to their house with them straight away. Really nice guys. They're still my friends to this day. And this was uh, ninety. When did I go there? Ninety. Oh no, eighty-nine. Eighty-nine. I was there. So anyway, gone around to their flat. There's like um, five Aussie blokes, blokes living in a three-bedroom house. They're all hardcore surfers. And three of them had been to New Zealand to go surfing and they'd ended up at Mount Hutt because they went to um, Raglan, they were hanging out with some dude there, Pixie, who was a patroller at Mount Hutt, a skier, and he told them they'd need to go to Mount Hutt and try skiing. They got down to Mount Hutt, and so that was in 88, and in 89, Tony Ross hooked up with Dave Partridge from Christchurch and got a snowboard so and started snowboarding. Dave Partridge is a bit of a legend in New Zealand snowboarding, right? He's yeah, He's the yeah. guy behind snow sticks and then yeah, Revelation yeah. snowboards. That's right. Apocalypse. All right. Apocalypse, so, and then I think it might have become Revelation. Again, someone that I'm hoping to speak to oh, once, yeah. once this gets up and going. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. It's, he's um, quite. He's always been under, a bit under the radar, mm. um, but um, he's got... So he'll have some very interesting stuff to tell you. Yeah, well, that snow sticks behind you has sort of pride of place in the middle there. Yeah, man. And I, my first board was a snow stick. I bought it off Mark Brown. Um, Mark and Bill Taylor. Mark Brown, Bill Taylor, and they had windsurf warehouse down at um, 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 Ferrymead in Christchurch. And the Aussie boys who convinced me to come back to New Zealand with them in 1990 to, to get into snowboarding. So going back to those Aussie boys, Tony Ross has got a snow stick snowboard in the house and it's got the edges and everything and bindings. I'm like, 
I've done this, but I made one of these. And so the conversation started. Next thing, I'm on a plane going back to New Zealand for the winter, my first winter at Mount Hutt. I've gone into, I got into Christchurch a couple of months before the season started so I could try and get some money together, do a bit of work. And um, the boys said, I need to go and see Mark Brown. He's another legend. It'd be good to get him on this. Yeah. And uh, he's a funny fella. He's great. So... Um, Anyway, um, gone around there, and Dave Partridge is working in the back of the warehouse making snowboards. Mate, and what, what is now known as snow sticks? Snow sticks, sort of yeah, yeah, and they were snow sticks back then already, and they were good boards, man, like proper snowboards. The boards, the all the bindings back then, the Burton bindings, the K two bindings, the Sims bindings, the snow sticks bindings. They were shit. The bindings were the worst part. They worked, but they killed your feet. Man, horrible on your feet, but the boards were really good. Dave Partridge's snow sticks were world class. He was up there with Burson straight away. So what was so bad about the bindings back then? Oh, was man. this soft boot bindings we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, soft boot bindings. Well, the boots was another thing. So there's heaps of toe drag. Um, the only choice in boots was either um, Sorrells, and you'd file off the big part of the, the toe and the heel that's hanging over as much as you could but you still have overhang. So we had lots of angle on our bindings, lots of forward angle. So your front um, binding would be maybe 25 to 30 degrees and your back binding would be about 15 to 20. Otherwise you've got overhang and that doesn't work. Yeah. So you'd have to put heaps of angle on them. So the boots weren't made to have these straps going across them. The straps then were just thin, hard plastic. So it hurt. Mm. Heaps of fucking stress on your um, feet. Um, the the boots weren't comfortable, and then Airwalk boots came along, and they were comfortable, but they're massive. So like big moon boots, and they were heavy. Yeah. So that was the thing that they, there was still a lot of work to be done on bindings and boots, but the boards were right from the start were good. They mm. worked. Because it seems like back then, my memory serves me correctly, like you had hard boots, which is essentially ski boots and yeah. snowboard and soft, and soft boots. Yeah. And, Yep. A lot of the ski-influenced or race guys were riding hard boots. Yep, yep. And if you were like me and rented hogger boogers in the early 90s, yep. you were in ski boots that's right. positive angles. Yes, that's right. That's what they thing. did because that's what they had, mm-hmm. and it worked high departments up the mountain. All they had was skis and thousands of ski boots, mm-hmm. so they just put those onto the hogger boogers, whatever oh, they were hiring. It cracks me up when I get kids today complaining about the gears like, oh, dude, <laughs> yeah. kind of have no idea. Toughen up, you little <laughs> pussy. <laughs> <laughs> right, so anyways, snow sticks. So did that lead mm. to a season or two at Methven? Yep, so I had my first season. I got a job um, up at Mount Hutt straight away because they were building the new um, restaurant and a big deck because they had a World Cup ski event and so they needed this big deck and everything for the media to be standing on and whatnot. So built that right up to the day they opened. day they opened, um, ha! My first day on a proper snowboard, I had my snow stick, my Sorrel boots, and secondhand jacket and pants that I got off the boys. And um, the first day, Mount Hutt's open, first day of the season, 1990, and it was raining. There was, right. snow, there was snow on the mountain, but it was raining. So I've gone up with all the boys, all the Aussie boys, 
that season there was like 12 of us living in a three-bedroom old cold <laughs> weatherboard house in Methven. Classic, uh, classic season here styles. Yeah, yeah man. And it was like, thinking back about it, I was like, man, it was rough, especially the bathroom and shower was disgusting. It was scoty ass. You could write messages in the mould on the walls of the Gross. shower. Anyway, so, um, so I've gone up the hill with all the boys. The lads were in the car, drive up the hill. And they just went straight to the cafeteria. They weren't going to go out there in the rain. because they had already you know, done a couple of seasons. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not going out in the rain. Yeah. But Dino, one of Aussie boys, Dino. Good on you, Dino. Dino now. And um, he's taken me out. He's taken me up the Pommer. Up second Pommer. I managed to get straight up. First Pommer, second Pommer. And then I'm sitting there and strapped in. And he goes, just ride it. And he just rode off. And that was it. That was my lesson. <laughs> so, and I spent all day out there by myself because he went back to the camp. Were there even snowboard instructors? There must have been because you um, were starting instructors. I'm right? not sh- I don't know if there was at Mount Hutt in 1990, but there definitely was in, ni- in 1990 up at Mount Hutt. There was literally maybe seven snowboarders and they were all based in, one, uh, in Methham. And then on a the weekend, you get the Christchurch so crew coming up. Who were, so the, who were the crew of the seven? Was that like the days of like Trevor Ponting and Quentin? No, nah, they like? they came in. I think in ninety one. In ninety ninety, it was um, there was some dude from Auckland, can't remember his name. And then there was the Aussie lads. There was Tony Ross, um, Dean Arnell, um, Marty Ross, but Marty kind of did more skiing than snowboarding really good so tony ross um was pretty much sponsored already in 1990 by snow sticks and so was seamus butt oh no way yeah yeah so seamus and tony brother yeah yeah so seamus and tony were the boys they were sponsored they're on the hill just shredding and getting photos and everything already back in 1990 doing massive methods and stuff it was awesome Sick. yeah yeah it was really cool was Roy Horseman around at that point no he also too. came in in about 91 right yeah so honestly in 1990 there was half a dozen dudes that all lived in Methan a couple of Auckland boys and Aussie boys and myself and then a few dudes who come up from um, Christchurch uh, Mark Brown and some of his um, crew and a couple of other random dudes I never really knew how they were, who they were um, and in 91, suddenly there was about 50 snowboarders on the hill. In 92, there was more snowboarders than skiers. Exploded. Mm. I mean, massive. Different. And it was a massive year, especially for Canterbury. They had mm. about a foot of snow on the beach in that Brighton. Was a, that was a pretty record. Like, I've got yeah. the magazines, the New Zealand Snowboard magazine from that year. And they, yeah. Well, was 93 huge. when they And Phil Erickson's got some story about being towed around Christchurch. Yeah, behind yeah, a, behind a valiant or something. Yeah, yeah, we were doing that in Metham because, yeah. of course, we couldn't get up Mount Hutt. It took them a week to clear the road. Holy shit, a week! Yeah, yeah, there was so much snow on the Mount Hutt access road, especially the last part through the bluffs. Everyone's gone up to Mount Hutt, you know the bluffs, and they were digging a tunnel through the snow, and just Fuck it man. took them ages. And then they had to dig out the lifts and everything. It was heaps and of snow. And there was back when Mount Hutt was, um, had a lot of T-bars sort of thing. Yep, yep. There was still, to get to the top, you had to take uh, a T-bar. So there was two T-bars, one that took you kind of halfway to the top, and then you get on the other one that took you all the way to the top, which is cool because it stopped the punters going up there because a yeah. lot of people still don't like riding T-bars. I enjoy yeah. T-bars. I think they're awesome. So we'd have all the top part and the towers and all that, pretty much just all the, all the people that can ski and can snowboard were 
getting all the good shit and all, everyone else was just down on the chairs being Last pussies week. were you hitting up the clubbies <laughs> at that point as well or just um, yeah, yeah we were in 91 we started venturing out um, and well we were going to Porter Heights which wasn't really a club field but it was much more low key than uh, Mount Hutt and um, 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 what's the other one Olympus oh yeah yeah, yeah. and that was radical because just the drive in Oh, that, you that get way. halfway and then there's a little hut and you radio up and say we're coming up and a lot of time there'll be no reply so you just have a go. Sketchy as. Uh, Dion, Dion Newport was telling me that they call that road the Sabaru Eater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've gone up yeah. there in my old Peugeot 504. No worries. <laughs> oh, sweet. So, um, <laughs> Methvin, um, yeah. is, does this lead on to you opening the Free Motion Snowboard Shop? Oh, uh, see, that's a whole different like, story all oh, right. itself, just to, because of the dude that was involved who owned that. But, uh, yeah, so um, being a Fakatani boy, and I hadn't been back to Fakatani for a few years. I'd been living in Australia for about three years solid. Came back to Mount Hutt, did my first season on the snow, and I thought, I'm not going to go back to Australia, I'm going to stay in New Zealand. So I went home to um, Fakatani, and I went straight around to the surf shop, and it was this guy who I remember when I was younger living there, and he was a bit of a ledge, he was a good surfer, but a bit of a dodgy character. But I went around to the shop and ended up working for him in the shop part-time and whatnot and he was classic to hang out with because we didn't do much work we did lots of playing lots of surfing lots of road trips go to raglan heaps and all that so it was awesome hanging out with him down to gizzy um but he was really interested in this whole snowboarding thing that i just started getting into and he decided in the summer of 91 1991 he decided that he's going to open up a shop in Methven a snowboard shop alright and was I was there, all, all for it because, was there anything else in Methven snowboard shop um, there was two two ski sto- uh, shops so Big Owls which is still mm. there awesome shop awesome crew um, and Wombats Wombats I think had they'd have one snowboard and it was some random brand you've never ever heard of before right. and then um, Big Owls they had maybe one or two Burtons and maybe a Sims, but not much. Oh, so this was the first like actual core snowboard shop. Yeah, yeah, it's core snowboard shop. Yeah, we sell we sold incense as well. <laughs> Sweet, classic nineties. <laughs> yeah, we sold more incense than snowboards. So. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, but that uh, was funny times, man. We were living in a shop. Wow, that was a radical times. So a scene sort of grew around the shop. Yeah, yeah, right. very much so. But the shop, we were hopeless. Like we'd open at like seven thirty in the morning, and we had high boards. We had snow sticks high boards. But unfortunately, at that right at that point, Dave Partridge had sold his snow sticks brand and business to some kooks from back in the North Island somewhere, and their boards were horrible. So we went and ordered all about ten boards of them to use as high boards, and they were horrible. Oh, what was so bad? Just they just didn't ride well. They were really soft and noodly, and yeah, they were just mm. um, you know everything else. Everything that Dave did was really good. We had a, I, had a, I just remember because he did race boards as well. Like you got one here in your office yeah. here, and that's um, it's a hard boot board. Mm. And his, we had um, a Mount Hut back in the day. Like even um, in '91, there's lots of hard booters start turning up, especially the Japanese dudes. They still go to Mount Hut. That was that was like big old bashy and stuff. Eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's a ledge. 
Um, and so Europeans started coming over as well because yeah. it's their off season. So Mount Hutt was the place to go with your hard boots. Um, and there was this um, German dude who I've just been in touch with again very recently after all these years, thanks to the interweb. Um, and he rode a, oh, I think it was F2, which I think they still do. They they really just specialised in. Have you got an F2 here? No. They specialised in um, race boards. Yes, yeah, so, because yeah. they were a windsurf brand as well, or something. I yeah. think so. Yeah, European. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he had his F2, and we had um, a couple of um, proper Dave Partridge race boards in the shop that was second hand. And he just kind of rubbished him. He goes, no good, no, no good. You know, Kiwis don't know how to make race boards. Yeah. And I convinced him to take one up one day. And he came down from the hill and he goes, this board's awesome. <laughs> so Dave Partridge, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah there's something to be said about uh, people riding snowboards, making snowboards. Yeah, yeah, That's... absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, like, with free motion, did you have, like, mm. a... <clears throat> Riders, up and coming riders, you were sponsoring that sort of thing. Nah, we weren't sponsoring him. Why don't we just sponsor ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> we just go riding every day. Every day, the mountain was open. We'd open the shop at seven thirty. Um, be closed at like eight. Mm. People had like half an hour to come in and grab stuff. We never had any customers. <laughs> we were too early, man. We should have been. We should have opened in ninety five. Would have killed it. Yeah. But um, ninety one was a little bit too early, and missing. Christchurch people don't go into Methuen, they go from Christchurch straight up Mount Hutt, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the day they go back to Christchurch, so we didn't get any of the Christchurch business. They all went to like Mark Bolt. and Bill. And Aaron had, oh, yeah, Aaron had a really cool it's shop, Wide Load, wide load and he, he was right into the whole freestyle side. Mm. So he was sponsoring a lot of the boys early, and, and then Mark and Bill um, opened their cheapskate store in the high streets, and they started sponsoring a few people as well like Trevor Ponting and that and mm. um, so that was a really cool scene coming from Christchurch but Methvin we were just a bit too early and we we're kind of yeah. a little bit out of the way we weren't getting the customers but it didn't matter for me personally and, and my mate Emma who was living in the shop with me yeah we just open up pretend that we were a shop and then close up and go <laughs> snowboarding all day come down and we come down and open up the shop at about five and sometimes we'd still be open at 10 o'clock in the morning. People just come in and buy some incense. And <laughs> <laughs> but um, we stocked um, uh, Nitro. And oh, they nice. do some really nice boards, yeah. So yeah, we had the Fusion. uh, Fusions mm. and Pyro. And I had an Epic as a hard boot oh, board. Nice. Yeah. I just thought, I'm going to try this hard boot stuff. So we had an Epic that was supposed to sell. Mm. And so I just set it up and started <laughs> riding it. Yes, yeah, my first board was a Fusion. Yeah, good board, yeah, yeah, say. Yeah, uh, it's my granddad's old board that I worked worked for him all summer to get. Ah. I mean, it was way behind the times when I got it. That mm. was the age of twin tips in like 94. But right, right. I didn't care. I had a snowboard. Yeah, yeah. I was psyched. Yeah, yeah. But, well, Nitro, they were um, very early as well. A European brand that started making snowboards about the same time as Burton and all those guys, yeah. but they didn't really appear into our world and and that until much later on. But um, very good boards. They had a, a wide range of boards already. They were already doing big swallow tails for powder days and like the Diablo making, 186s. And, and they were like making split boards back in like 94 or something. Yeah, man, they were very experimental and way ahead of their time, really. They were, yeah. and, and very good boards, yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. And so were you, was free motion was around for a couple of years? Um, I ran it for two winters and then I had a falling out with the owner back up in the North Island. I was a bit sus on what was going on. 
and so I kind of bailed on being associated with him. Um, and um, Jeremy, oh, I can't remember his surname, but one of the Christchurch boys, he took over. He ended up running the shop for another year or two, but it all fell to pieces because the owner, I'm not going to say a name because it's, it's just a bit too incriminating, but he ended up going to jail. He was a bad man. All right. So I'm glad that I stopped associating with him. Yeah, we, we can we can leave that one at that if yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, when you do your um, crime scene episodes, we can talk about it then. <laughs> Sweet. So was this the um, was the blue pub and the brown pub a thing mm. back mm. in those days too? Mm. And the mm. snowboarders went to the blue pub. Yeah, yeah, the very much. Went to the brown pub. Very much. And yep. you didn't go to either. It was one, one. or the other, and yeah. we. And but the thing is, like, was the crew I was with. Um, being surfers, yeah, you know, surfers are very kind of localized and territorial and all that, and actually. Um, back then it was just very much still lots and lots of scares and they didn't like us snowballs they called knuckle draggers and that kind of stuff you know and they used to give us shit all the time and um, so we didn't go to the blue, blue pub often but um, we discovered the country club in um, Methven so that was I don't remember much of the country club <laughs> but it was good we had big couches and oh, rafters man. we climb up in the rafters we had we had it all to ourselves there was so, like about six of us that used to go there three nights a week and just get written off I mean so that time <laughs> skiers dominated the blue pub and very much no well it was, there. there was more skiers than snowboarders yeah. for a start so and they you, gave us shit so we didn't go there so, so do you experience a bit of like ski snowboarder hate or vibes Back in those days, sort of thing. Yeah, or? yeah, there was, there definitely was, but it, it was interesting how it suddenly changed. Um, powder days, we'd be out there ripping it up, and mm. most of the skiers, because the skis back in the in the nineties were pretty ordinary, really. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they can skiing industry can thank snowboarding for saving their ass. Yeah. I'm saying that now. Yeah. Because we did, mm. because skiing was going nowhere. There's no progress in the design of the skis, and it was pretty getting a bit boring mm. for people there was no progress well, and then snowboarding came along and changed the whole scene with bigger side cuts and a bigger platform so you can float through the snow mm. and all that and some of the ski companies that were onto it goes oh let's just change the design of our skis let's make our skis easier to ski off piece and carving yeah. skis was a big one initially mm. and then they just progressed massively um, but some of the, the skiers up at Mount Hutt, there was some ripping skiers up there, eh? There's a dude called Rusty, of course. There was actually two Rusties in Methan, an old boy and a younger dude. Both really good skiers, especially young Rusty. John Dealer, this dude from the States, the deadhead through and through. Mate, he is an incredible skier. I remember going up the chairlifts with Dino, and Dino's going, look, there's JD, John Dealer. Top of the towers. He's come screaming down, put on one turn. You don't put on one turn <laughs> oh, coming down like towers. Two tens or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, just flying. <laughs> and he's hit the cat track and just launched. It all happened so quick and we're just like, fuck, wicked. He was a mean skier. But anyway, he, he jumped on a, a snowboard a couple of times and ripped mm. on it. Just natural, you know. It's, it's, but so guys like that, they knew where we were coming from. They mm. they just like, oh yeah, this stuff's this for real. It works. Well, it's like even back. In those days, like Glenn Plate was backing. Yeah, like he he got <laughs> as well. He was running around with Sean Palmer and those dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Palmer, yeah. he was legendary back yeah. then. And Sean Farmer, Sean Farmer was a big yeah. one. He had these massive, big, long boards, and he was on K two. Boy, he had his own boards for a while. Yeah, Summit or something, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
There's some good good videos that came out then as well. We watched um, Critical Condition oh, over and over and, and over. Pretty much every day, every night, we were back in the back of the shop and we have a video play going. We just watched Critical Condition. Chris Roach had a pretty good part in that. Chris Roach, yeah, yeah that was got Japan. in the tree or something. But. Oh, that was um, um what's his name? Um, and he came to um, Treble Cone not long after that and was just smoking up there. Mm. Um, what's his name? And he's got this classic line, and he's just like, yeah, I zigged when I should have zagged. Oh, right. And I got the footage, it's like the footage being taken from a helicopter looking down at them. They didn't have drones back then, so it must have been a chopper. It's looking down, and there's these, a few trees that are spaced out. They're about maybe 40, 60 feet apart, and he's just booking it down the slope. And he zigged instead of zagged and just went smack into this tree. If any of our five listeners out there can um, do a bit of research and figure out who that oh, yeah, yeah. is. Oh, he's a crazy cat. Oh, see, my memory's not very good. Because mm. uh, who else was in that film? Did you have, did they had like um, Mike, Mike Rankwit and Mike Rankwit, Noah Slasnick. Noah Slasnick, he had a really style cool, master. he was like the freestyle mm. style pilot. Really cool. Um, uh, Sean Farmer. And um, 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 oh, there was this other little dude with dreads. Nick Parada. Yeah, yeah, Nick Parada. Practically invented jibbing that. Dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He, he hung out in Wanaka back in the day as well. It was funny. It suddenly, no I came down to Wanaka and um, to live in '95, I think. And so it was, was a Methvin to Wanaka. Sort of nah, Methvin to um, Dunno's actually. So Mark and Bill wanted to open up a cheapskates and. I'd done my thing was um, free motion. Glad I got away from that. And um, and then I ended up uh, working for Cheapskates um, in High Street. And then uh, Mark and Bill wanted to open up a store in Dunno's. So I went down to Dunno's. So I was in Dunedin for nearly two years. And then got the opportunity to manage the boardhouse in Wanaka. And I think oh, that was 95. Rad. So boardhouse, um, very iconic snowboard shop there. Was yeah, that, yeah. Was that uh, started by Rion Moreland? No, or? no, Russell Riddell. So Russell, Russell yes, yeah, so Russell Riddell was the New Zealand um, ride snowboard importer yeah. and agent, and ride boots and everything that goes with ride. And he did a few other random things as well. And he had a shop in um, Wanaka, which he managed. But he spent a lot of time on the road repping his stuff and whatnot. Mm. And he needed someone. He had his girlfriend looking after, her, but she wasn't even a snowboarder. She was some girl from. Melbourne, who a city girl, you know. So he needed someone. So he offered me this job, and I was kind of over. I missed the snow. I mean, I want to be close to the snow, so I'm like, yeah. So I ended up in living in Wanaka. And um, the funny thing is, so I've got to say something here, and you're probably going to interview Rion at some point, and he'll. I've I've reached out. He's not keen so far. Oh yeah, no. Um, See, Rion's always been kind of under the radar as well. He doesn't like the attention. So I've got to to respect that. But um, I'm going to tell the story. Ollie Burke's keen, but please, Rion, like the man. So so I was in uh, when I was uh, managing um, cheapskates in um, Dunno's, and I needed a hand. I couldn't be in a run a shop by myself. I needed something to give me a hand. And I'm not that great a skater, so I needed a skater to be in a shop, you know, who could yeah. you know, relate to the crew who were into the street style skating. And um, Rion was the only one that was that passed to get the job. Because he's, he's still a ripping skateboarder to this yeah, day. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But anyway, he was slack, man. He was just really slack in the shop. <laughs> he was like sat down and looked at skating videos all the time. I'm like, bro, there's stuff to do. There's always stuff to do in a shop. You wouldn't think so, but there's always heaps to do. 
And um, so anyway, we had a basement downstairs, and that's why I kept you know extra stock and whatnot. And I used to skate down there a little bit, a little area, um, and a little door that went out the back to this big car park. So and this was Cheapskates Dunedin. Cheapskates Dunedin on Stewart Street. So oh, I yeah. said to the boys when they're down, I said, make sure that you close that door at the end of the day. And a few times I went down there at the end of the day, and the door was open because they're skaters, you know, they don't listen. Mm. Anyway, the man. But anyway, um, so Rion, I kind of said a few times, like, dude, you got to step up your game. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one weekend, I thought I'm going to um, Wanaka. It's going to be Powell. So I left on Friday lunchtime, and I put him in charge of the shop. So Rion lived in Dunedin. Yeah, he was at uni. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. Sweet. So, well, he kind of bailed on uni, took the student loan, and just did what a lot of crew did, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so, anyway, he's in, and so I left him in charge of the shop for the first time on a Friday, and I said, oh, "I'm back in the shop on Monday, so you're looking after it Friday afternoon and Saturday, and just make sure that that door is closed downstairs." He says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Come back to work on Monday, open up the shop, go in, and there's half eaten pizza on the on the counter, there's some t-shirts on the ground. I'm like, oh man, Rion, this is your chance to shine, and you blew it. And about lunchtime, I went downstairs to get some stuff, and the back door was wide open. So I fired him. First time I ever fired anyone, I fired him. I felt bad about it, but I'm like, you, you're not up to it. So I fired him, and his dad rang me up from Hamilton. I was like, oh, and he apologised. <laughs> he apologised, Rion, for your behaviour. But next thing I'm in, in uh, Wanaka and I'm running the board house, and again, I needed someone to help me out in the workshop and that. Rion walks in the door. Do you want a job? He goes, oh, yeah. I gave him the job. About two years later, he bought that business. I'm like, good on you. He, so he grew up and stood up. and So he bought it from Russell Riddell. Yeah, and, yeah. And so was the board house always in where the behind where the curry shop is now? Yeah, like yeah, when, yeah. When it yeah, it's that green toad place. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it had like the world's steepest mini ramp behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't even remember who built that, but there was some behind I'll there. I hope Nolly Burke will have the answers I'm sure to that will. one. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, he will. Yeah, that was. And we had pinball shop. machines in the shop yeah. and stuff. It was and a, I think we had a pool table one stuff. Yeah, like you kind of had a room out the back where you watched normal videos and played pool. Mm. I, yeah. I remember that pretty mm. well. It's like this is a. Well, it's good. This is just what it was. It was the way snowboarding was back then. It was fun. It was all about fun. And doing it different to... Like, the skiers are all very much about flash and fancy and, you know, nice white jackets and all that kind of stuff. And we were just like, like anarchy, the, punk. The spider brigade sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And we were just kind of punk and stuff. And, it, and that's the way snowboarding was back then. It was like, you know, rising up against society and we're fucking skateboarders and snowboarders and we don't obey the rules. Yeah, right. And the shop was a little bit like that. We just kind of wanted to make it casual and inviting for that crew. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. That was cool. I remember a couple of times going in there and, uh, like, not being kicked out. Like, cool, I can just hang out with my snowboarders <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. stuff. You could hang out there all you know, day like, if you wanted to. Like, you'd, you'd have other dudes <laughs> at other shops be like, so are you going to buy something? Or yeah, yeah, to? Like, yeah. Yeah, I could just stay here and watch snowboard videos. This yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's good. Like, I couldn't find snowboard videos otherwise. And yeah. Rad. So you were at the board house for a couple of years? Uh, probably a couple of years. And um, and I stayed for the summers and I started up my own little, because I'm a carpenter by trade. So I had my own little business going here in, in the summer. Mike's Home Improvements kicked ass. Oh, busy. yeah? Yeah, it was good. And then come winter, I just I can put my boots back on and go snowboarding. Sweet. Mm. Ah, cool. And Chris, um, 
There's that lots was... to talk about, man. This could yeah, go on yeah. for hours. Oh, man. We're still in like 1991 or something. Oh, no, we're, I think we've jumped <laughs> to like 95 right now. Yeah, 95, I did yeah. want to touch on when you're back in Methvin. So you've mm. seen when Quentin Robinson, oh, Trevor yeah, Ponting, yeah, yeah. so two yeah. really iconic New Zealand snowboarders. Yeah, yeah. So you were there when they they started doing this yeah, man. season on, in the bus. I'll never thing. forget it. Up the chairlifts and um, Mountain Hut had these these snow making had these big plastic snow cones, mm. these big round top cones over top of the snow making guns, and um, I'm going up the chairlifts and we were just mm, pretty much all the snowboarders up in that point came from a, a surfing background, mm. so we were just on the mountain surfing the mountain, you know, and, and doing a few jumps and that and. You know, watching the, the the videos and that, and seeing what the boys are doing, methods and tail grabs, just kind of basic stuff. And so we're trying all that stuff. Next thing, there's these little grommies from Christchurch just ollieing these snow cones and doing nose bonks and spinning threes and fives. And we're like, fucking check out those that, boys! That whole roadkill, Steve. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was fully, eh? And I was like, these guys are Thank on you, it. Mike Ranquet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely, eh? And it was um, Quentin and Trevor. And um, Roy Hawthorne, um, oh, there was a bit of a few of a crew, eh? Mm. And they were quite hardcore as well. Like, there's, I remember reading somewhere that Quentin and Trevor couldn't find a house, so they stayed in a bus. Mm. And something along the lines of Quentin was riding in felt line para gum boots and liked it because he could tweak his ears really well or something. Yeah, um, I, I, it, it'll be true. Yeah. I don't remember, but yeah. The thing about Methven, like um, Methven is a town where very different to Wanaka. Wanaka has got this amazing scenery and a lake and everything around you, and lots and lots of things to do when you come off the mountain. And Methven, you come off the mountain, and especially back then, like mountain biking wasn't a big thing then, so you'd go to the pub. Mm. So Methven days, was, everyone was just on the piss mm. and whatever else was going on, and there was lots of other stuff going on too. So it was like farmer and snowboarder fights in the streets or any stuff like no, that. Like everyone's not really. Yeah, there was the odd silly little flare up here and there, but nothing, mm. nothing. Because I mean, I heard stories about that in Wanaka back in the day, and like Barrows fights between like the snowboarders and the ruggers and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, it wasn't really. Yeah. There was nothing really. Eh? a bit of pushing and shoving and just you know giving each other shits and. Mm. Um, but nothing major. Nothing to write home about really. And so. Mm. What happened after the boardhouse then? So you worked, you worked there mm. and re-onboard it. Were you, yeah. you moved on to other things by that point? Um, what was I doing in the winter? I, I just started doing lots of driving. So I, I worked out, and it was pretty easy to work out, that we all go up, we all have to drive up the hill. You know? mm. So everyone drives up the hill. Even the staff go up the hill every, every day in the vans and whatnot. Um, and some people don't like to drive up the hill, so they need to be driven. So there's a, I noticed that the bus drivers, all they do is they do their job in the morning, get everyone up the hill, and then they go skiing all day or snowboarding. And then at the end of the day, they drive everyone down. And I thought, that's the job. So I ended up doing that. Didn't make any money, but I was snowboarding every day. Sick. And that was, for me, that's all I want to do. I want to go snowboarding. I didn't want to be a lifty. Mm. I didn't want to work in the cafeteria. I, I could instruct, but I haven't got the patience, so that mm. was kind of out as well. And I thought, I'm just going to be a bus driver. So I ended well, up doing that for heaps of seasons. Yeah, we have no, that hasn't changed. It's like certain areas, first tracks, who was that? Oh, it was the bus drivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> quite often we'd be up there, you know, something, mm. quite often you'd be up the hill. And a rule that I had for myself, because often we'd get up the hill, if it's open, you're, you're driving up there. Mm. 
because it's your job. And you get there and be miserable and there's flat lice and whatnot. But I had a rule for myself. I'd always go out and do a run because you never know. Yeah. And quite often to get out there and it was on and there's mm. no one there because everyone's in the cafeteria. Yeah. And most of us drivers all had the same thing. So we were up here, let's just have a go. It doesn't mm. matter what the conditions. And sometimes we just score big time. And then the cloud would lift and there's no one around. It's just us. It's a long time to sit in the cafeteria otherwise. Yeah, man. Um, so did that segue into sort of how did the judging oh, come about? Like, well, that was, that was through Ewan Straight. So um, Ewan, who's been working up at Cadrona forever, um, so at that time, so I think that was about 95 or 96, um, and there was a snowboard competition called the K2 Challenge, mm-hmm. and it was uh, dual slalom, <laughs> which we haven't done for yonks but the, dual, the 90s right? yeah yeah dual uh, slalom with soft booters and hard booters um and a half pipe comp and border cross it just kind of started oh, yeah. border cross was a new thing and um i think the first year was down um at captains and it was wasn't much of a course it wasn't that great but after that it just got better and better and better mm. um but um anyway so I was doing a little bit of driving for Ewan because on the side he had he bought a van and thought he'd make a little bit of money by taking people up the hill although mm. he was working on the hill. So I was his driver for a little bit and um, one day I'm going up the hill with him and the K2 challenge was about to start and he worked in the events department and he goes, we haven't got enough judges for the half pipe. And I'm like, I'll have a go. And that was the start of my judging. I loved it. I just zoned in, did it, nailed it, and just so went, yep, that's who it. Were, who were some of the, like, the, the top half-pipe riders of that time? Um, Quentin Robbins, um, Ollie Brunton, um, Dylan Butt. So, so he would have been like a Grom back then, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like, seeing him up at, uh, he'd come down from Canterbury with his older brother Seamus. I remember seeing them... Um, riding around Cadrona and Seamus is giving him tips instructing yeah. him yeah just how you do it type of thing um, and um, Trevor Ponting was mm. good on a half pipe even though Mount Hutt didn't have a half pipe it took them years so just wankers like that they're really hard to deal with because he was just natural born skateboarder so yeah 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 right hardcore skater, so. yeah man he, yeah. He, and no fear mm. Tre- Trevor's a tough man He's a tough man. Good on you, Trevor. He's um, poor um, bugger had uh, brain cancer last year. Got um, diagnosed as that. Went in for surgery. He's in Japan, um, and it's all going well for him. They got onto it early enough. He had really good surgeons. So good on you, bro. He's oh, a man. tough man. Eh? Well, if you're li- if you're listening, if you ever end up listening, Trev. Like, yeah, you might do. Brad, eh? man. <laughs> yeah, Trev. Good yeah. bro. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, so this would have been the start of like Ollie Brunton and Quentin Robbins' dominance with. Uh, and yeah, was what became the unit? Yeah, yeah, bros. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely, those guys were awesome. There was a lot of good riders then, you know. And, and um, um, Ollie Burke and Rion, but they were more like free riders rather than half pipe stuff. They could do the half pipe, but the guys that stood out in the half pipe were Ollie um, Brunton and Quentin Robbins. Um, and uh, what's his name from Dunno's who's also been in Japan for a while now 
Joel Wiscott. Joel Wiscott. Joel Wiscott. Yeah, he was yeah. pretty good in the pipe as well. Yeah. I remember just tripping on him because he was one of the older dudes I've seen skating in Dunedin. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no way. He's, <laughs> he's even a bit of snowboarder. Like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, we need a bottle opener. We need a bottle opener. Should have those not those stops. Hang on, I've got a hammer. Would that work? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm a Kiwi there. We're just going <laughs> to keep this shit rolling too. Yeah, yeah. So, um... I'm on the Coronas. I'm not supposed to be drinking beer. My doctor told me to slow down, so I've been slowing down. Although I did have a big one last night, but I drink, didn't drink beer, I drank Cody's. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck, Cody's. Shit, sure, it's been a while since you've been on the tools. Yeah. Whoa, it's a boy. <laughs> mean. That's what we're saying. <clears throat> Ollie Brunton. Mm. Ollie Burke. Yep. No, Ollie Burke. No, Ollie Burke and Rion, I always mm. associated more with like treble cone and cone head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, there was that crew. There's quite, back then, like in the mid 90s, right through into the early 2000s, it was like a hardcore crew of treble cone snowboarders, and they kind of shunned the Cadrona crew, you know, as being soft, or whatever. Two very different mountains. Mm. Um, I often explained to people the difference in the terrain by using my hands. I'll hold one hand kind of flat with a little bit of angle on it, that's Cadrona, and I'll hold my other hand like that, which is kind of steep and knuckly, and that's Triple Cone. Mm. And that's the best way to describe the two mountains. Very different, but they're both heaps of fun in their own rights they for their own reasons. They complement each other pretty well. They do, yeah. they do, and it's really cool now that they're owned by the same company. It's really brought the two mountains together, because mm. um, over the years it's kind of been on and off. There's been a little bit of rivalry, and there's like, you know, the triple cone wankers and the cadrona wankers and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. you know yeah, which is silly yeah. silly <laughs> stuff you know it's like it's fun man just it doesn't matter but there's all that kind of localism thing going on yeah, in the mountains I mean, shit you still get it at triple cone on powder days sometimes mm, yeah, yeah. Like, wow, powder days up there just we're just we're just here to fucking each play for their own. snow and shit mm. but um so when you were judging half pipe contests mm. did you see sort of sub, something I'm sort of quite curious about was the rise of julianne bray oh yeah because like as a grommet growing up all i seen in magazines was like pam bell was a snowboard queen but yep. she was real race focused yeah, sort yeah. of thing she was a hard booter and more than so, anything and like gina i was saying before like for someone like her to see like julianne bray in the magazines like holy shit that's what i could ride like, like yeah yeah really profound like yep with like how how did you see that come about um, being a well, judge and- oh well it was actually it wasn't even a contest I was um, the, all the crew were hitting treble cone oh excuse me I was uh, running uh, in the board house and the word was out there was this girl from Wellington from Wellington in town she's a really good snowboarder and at that time there was a few girls snowboarders but they didn't really stand out as being that good yeah. they could do it but there wasn't they didn't really stand out as you know being tricksters or anything so anyway i've gone up the hill with the crew and we're doing triple treats i don't know what it's called anymore it's got a different name there i think everyone still calls it yeah yeah treat, and it was though. good man it's a long run and it's just cat tracks and you can fly off the cat track it's it's, it's so good it's so good for freestyling yeah um so anyway i'm up there i'm doing a run down triple treat and there's this girl julianne bray and we're cruising down we're about halfway down all of a sudden she's just hooked this right hand turn hit the bank, went up the bank, came flying straight across the cat track and spun a three with a grab and nailed the landing and rode off. I was like, fuck! Yeah, yeah. She really, that 
blew me away. I'm like, wow, she's got balls. That was awesome. Mm. And she's a super nice girl. We're very, very good friends. We flattered for a winter together and ate two so, minute noodles because all we could afford. But so she's a cool girl. Was that the time where she, there was this clothing brand called Pink or something? Yeah, that yeah, she yeah, had yeah. Something to do with that's that. right. That's right. Yeah. So there was a, a girl in town, um, Bex, and she decided she was into the snowboarding as well um, in one of the Treble Cone crew and she decided to make girls snowboard gear because it wasn't a female range of snowboard mm. gear and suddenly female snowboarding was becoming a thing Shannon Dunn um, American mm. girl who rode sims really really good snowboard I did a run with her and um, um, a Burton rider I can't remember his name now up at Coronet Peak once did one run with them and I got left in the dust I was blown away. This little girl, she's like five foot, real pretty blonde, and I knew who she was. But I, her and Tina Bassett sort of dominated. Yeah, Tina Bassett, they yeah. were dominating then. There was those two girls, um, and Julianne was up at that level. She was that really? good. Really? Yeah, yeah. Julianne was that. Yeah, good man. Back she was then. that. She was fast, hard and fast. She could uh, ride, man. She can ride, eh? She's I mean, a good that, rider. I mean, fast forwarding a few years, her cover on New Zealand Snow what that cover shot mm-hmm. is just so iconic mm-hmm. and. Like, yep, one of those ones that kind of you, you, it needs to be framed and put on the wall. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and and hopefully Julianne's keen to come on and talk a bit more about snowboarding and stuff. Yeah, yeah I thought I actually saw it today. I'm, I've been visiting heaps of crew. I'm in Wanaka this weekend. And I caught up with Julianne, so that was good. Um, but yeah, man, um, I've got a really good story about her and I, and and it's kind of we're still on the judging side of things. So he asked me how. I noticed her in, in the yeah, judging. Yeah. So, so her and another local girl, um, Sharon Parker, was also a very good oh, yeah. snowboarder, and they were both really good in the half pipe. So it was those two girls always in the final for about three, four seasons. Yeah, because I think Sharon instructed when I started working at. Kodona. Yeah, be right. Yeah, yeah, she was an instructor up at Kadrona. Yeah. Yeah, please, anyway. You're so yeah, so her and Julianne had this great friendship and. Um, there's four of us drove up to Mount Hutt for the Canterbury Champs and they just smashed it because there, there weren't any good female snowballs up in Mount Hutt. Sorry, Mount Hutt. There might have, there might have been, but I didn't notice. And I was, I was one of the judges, so I should have noticed. But yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so there's a real rivalry between those girls. And, and the thing about the whole judging thing, um, and a lot of people still don't realise this, but without the competition, without judging, there's no real progress in sport. Yeah. Um, and what happened was the judging, which is, it was a great thing for us here in New Zealand. Um, our riders were becoming really good, and they were going up to the Northern Hemisphere and doing their seasons, and they wanted to compete. And a lot of the competitions were run by the FIS, and you needed to be FIS registered and have FIS points and whatnot to even get a look in you. Otherwise, you couldn't compete in a lot of these contests. And our crew were good enough to compete against the, the world. Um, so we had to register ourselves with the FIS as New Zealand Snowboard Association and, judges. And this was back at the time where the International Snowboard Federation was clashing with FIS. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it was the IJC, the International judges consortium i think they call it a fancy name and they were like fis is scared it was that whole scare against snowboarder thing still which is a bit silly from from my point of view like the fis yeah okay so some of their ideas weren't um ideal and it's a bit ski wanky maybe 
but they were still running these fantastic mm. events because they had money, man. Mm. And to run a good event, is, it costs a lot of money. Mm. Uh, as you know, working up at Gadrona, to run events costs heaps. Um, and the FIS are really good with mm. that. IJC um, broke away and started their own judging system, and TJ Harkinson was one of them who was like, fuck FIS and whatnot. But mm. that all kind of settled down. It took a while. It took about four or five years, but so it kind of settled down. Do you reckon it sort of settled down once skiers started, you know, sort of looking at snowboarding and, like, twin-tip skis and that sort of thing? There was a bit more common ground Pop, then? Probably that had, that probably had something to do with it, I think. Mm. Um, I also um, believe that... Um, the judges who are judging on the snowboard half-pipe panels for FIS, they're all snowboarders. Mm. They're all like me. Love it. It was a passion. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and of course the FIS had their way of doing things, but the head judge of snowboarding for FIS is Ola... I can never say his surname, but I like to say, say Sunkist because it's kind of, you know, <laughs> Sunquist or whatever, but Ola. And... Um, he doesn't look like a snowboarder, but he can snowboard, and he loves snowboarding from his heart. Mm. And he's the head judge for FIS snowboarding, and he has been for years. He might still be, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, and so um, I felt I felt totally comfortable with FIS. Mm. But I also judged a couple of IJC events, because I wanted to spread love, and you know? Was this international... Like were you traveling? Um, yeah, it was um, an event in Australia, um, which was run by um, IJC, and that was at uh, Mount Hotham, which is quite a good mountain when mm. they got good snow. But yeah, um, that's another story. Mm. <laughs> and, oh, well, the, 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 light, the lights are <laughs> <all> yours, man. <laughs> but um, the the whole judging thing, I really enjoyed it. I really loved it. You mm. know what I love uh, about it is seeing the progress, and as, as I mentioned before. Um, having contest progress as a sport mm. a lot of people think that you know I've had uh, little disagreements with some of the hardcore triple cone snowboarders back in the day with the judging and that and they mm. said oh, yeah, it shouldn't be a competition and it's like yeah but there are crew that want to compete mm. there's people that want to go to the Olympics that's people's yeah. dreams and yeah. if we didn't have that judging system in place it would never have happened we've had heaps of Kiwi Olympians that have been on the podium at the Olympics, I mean, Woo-hoo! look at you know, Zoe Sinner. Zoe, just the other, yeah, a couple of days, years ago, she was cleaning up on the mm, World Circuit. Like that switchback night, like, could that have been yeah. done any better? Oh, I know. No, no way. Like, so good, eh? Yeah. And and that's another thing that I love about the judging because I've seen all those grommets through the years coming up mm. from being little grommies and the Wales boys. I remember being up at Cadrone and these little grommies skiing around with these helmets that are way too big for them because mm. uh, grommets and they didn't have helmets the right size back then. And those boys have been dominating mm. the freestyle skiing. And and I think uh, uh, most of our listeners should probably be know about the Wells boys is that they're all absolutely rip on snowboards. They're all ripping yeah, skateboards. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. They're just and gifted, it's eh? so rad when Dogger does his mini pipe event, you see like Jossie on his board. Yeah, yeah. He's like, fuck, he's riding like, oh, he skis and he's riding better than like most of us fuckers oh man that's so sick and yeah 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 and they've sort of bridged a few gaps and absolutely that, um, like absolutely Dion Newport's done that with his free ride judging and yeah, trying yeah. to bridge the gap with snowboarding and skiing good on you Dion so thank you Dion yeah um, 
and he doesn't get enough credit for blazing the trails. Yeah, yeah, because he's also he's a little bit under the radar, but everyone mm. that's dealt with Dion, it's in his heart, hey, he's mm. good. Go I think everyone knows, and knows, you know, that man's done a, put a, a lot of hard yards yeah, and a yeah. lot of money in. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. So you shot Dion if you ever listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like I was saying before, was the judging thing, and seeing these, these kids come through and go up to podium on the world circuit is so cool to see and and of course it comes down to our fantastic coaches as well yeah like well speaking mm. of coaches like how's about mitch brown like, yeah 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 like comes up as like second generation grom sort of yep. under jar harris and those dudes yeah yeah and then ah, through, harris, through the classic. hpc yeah goes to the olympics yeah and now he's coaching zoe yeah yeah and it's like dude like i have I mean, to that's a pretty cool story yeah i have to give um props to uh, Mitch as well because another thing is as a judge we I love to give my um, ideas and to help these athletes you know, it's mm. like well if you did this and if you did that mm. that's going to impress the judges you know so, so whenever um, we run a half pipe comp if I'm the head judge I like to have a, a quick chat to the competitors just before the competition starts mm. and tell them what we're looking for this yeah. is what the judge is looking for today I want to give them a head start you know um, but the coaches never ever came up to me apart from Mitch at the Mitch. end of every event Mitch would come up to me and he goes so did you reckon my crew did it right I'm like yeah yeah and he goes what do they need to do to make it better I'm like well they need to do this and they need to do that next competition they'll be doing exactly what I said so thank you Mitch for listening and I'm glad I could have some inputs because that's another part of the judging I want to give input to help our um, athletes grow mm. and thank you Mitch for what you've done for New Zealand snowboarding yeah, it's boy. really a hell of a journey I'll never forget right. that final up at Snow Park in the mist and you won yeah. <laughs> no, oh sick I mean Snow Park holy shit mm. that's it's nuts to think it's nearly been closed for 10 years because it was such oh, a huge part long. of that long wow well yeah it was such hey. a huge part of everyone's life though eh? like, yeah I didn't get up there that much see, see for myself personally I've always remained this the surfing snowboarder yeah the trick thing I, I like to do grabs and add them in a couple of years but I was, I was never that good in a half pot I was never a good competitive snowboarder but the judging side was perfect mm. for me because I know how it needs to be done I, I know how it should work but um, so um, snow park for me was all bit it was a bit too challenging for me because mm. I'm not the jumps in half pipe and rails dude and things had gotten pretty big yeah, I remember when Snow Park started, it was like, holy shit, this is a 22-foot pipe. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And it was yeah. like, whoa, this is... And it was quite steep. Yeah, like, we're no longer in Kansas anymore. That's holy right. Shit. And the jumps just got bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Mm. And then, of course, Cadrona's competing against them, and their jumps are getting bigger and bigger. And it was just... It was great for mm. the freestyle side of snowboarding New Zealand. Oh, like, World class. Yeah, Snow Park World needed class. to happen for us to be where we're at now. Yeah. Like, wouldn't We wouldn't be where we were without... Sam Lee and Snow That's Park right, Vision. yeah. Yeah, props to Sam as well. So, eh? Props awesome. to Sam. Um, did you ever sort of venture into like free ride judging? Ah, oh, massive, sort of massive. That's that's my that's my thing. I love backcountry. I love free riding. I love just going hard and fast and dropping cliffs and mm. shit. Because um, <laughs> I was told to ask you about the World Heli Challenge. Oh, yeah, that was so um, good, bro. It was so good. World so Challenge was, was so much fun. Tony, so much Tony fun. Harrington's brainchild, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so... When I was running um, the boardhouse in Wanaka, um, Tony had the the Photoshop, 
which is right next to Dobin, I think. Just yeah, that wee small building. Eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, because that's we didn't have digital photos then, so everyone still had to get the film developed. Mm. So he was kind of like my neighbour in, in business. So I had a shop in behind him, and so I'd see him every now and then. He'd come into the shop, and he's a, a, a real, he's a hardcore skier and surfer and outdoor man, you know. Mm. Been there, done that. And um, one day he mentioned to me that he's going to run this competition, helicopter access only, and just have like a extreme day up in the mountains i'm like oh, that sounds awesome so anyway, he went ahead and did it i think i think 95 was the first one so they um they had a chinese downhill if you ever get a chance to see the footage of that 95 chinese downhill so absolute carnage snowboarders and skiers snowboarders and it? skiers yeah right mostly skiers at the start on their first one but snowboarders as well um the next one 1996 he realized he needed he, he was stepping up the game. He was like, this is happening. It's going to be real. We need judges. I'm like, I'm a judge. I'm a judge. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> so um, next thing, I'm flying up in choppers and uh, chopper pilots and cowboys as well. It was so much fun. The whole event was just heaps of fun. And the best, craziest skiers and snowboarders in the world so entered the World Hatter Challenge. Who were sort of some of the names... That. Matt King snowboarding back then was maniac cliff dropping. Was that the guy that did the tail grab off um, Eagle Rocket Cadrona? No, no, that no. was um, oh, here's an Aussie bloke, Tasmanian lad. Tassie, eh? Yeah, he worked Matt, up at Cadrona. Matt, unfortunately, he passed away. Christ, I've got the magazine. I'm, I'm going to have to look up he, the magazine. And we had an extreme, we had an extreme comp um, in that part of Cadrona um, one year, and. Um, for some reason, I wasn't judging that day, but I thought I'll take some photos. So I was standing on this rocky outcrop. Matt Hadley. Matt Hadley, Matt yeah, Hadley. yeah, 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 yeah. And he's got to be one of the only snowboarders that's ever done yeah. proper eagle rock. Yeah, because it's a flat landing. Yeah. You just wouldn't do it. Yeah, like, the only other <laughs> snowboarder I know that can do flat landings is Will Jackwood. Yeah, the enemy. He's got a like, black eye and a fat lip, and he's cracked his tooth, <laughs> and he was, he was stoked. He was so stoked. He'd been looking at it for like four seasons, and he did Holy it that day. Shit. But on this extreme comp, I'm standing on this, this rocky outcrop and there's no way anyone's going to come off there. Mm. Anyway, I'm standing there to take photos. Everyone's kind of around the corner doing their thing. And here he is up the top and he's yelled out to me. He says, Heige, you're on my line. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I step back and he's come flying down. We went straight past me and straight off this nasty, like if you got it wrong, you're going to die. And flat ass landing. <laughs> Exploded out of that landing and carried on. That's what we wanted to do. Like it, it didn't, it didn't win for him. Like the judges weren't impressed because it was just stupid. But he was stoked, mate. Yeah, but he was talking about it, right? Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. still talking about it now. Yeah, it was years yeah. ago. It was like twenty something years ago. So with, <laughs> with the World Heli Challenge, was this um, the same? Like ninety six? Was that the same year that they had the jump and barrows? Was that part of? The oh yeah, challenge? yeah. Was yep. that Harrow as well? Yep, that was Harrow as well. Mate, that was, those are so good years. On that night, it was a classic night because Barrows Car Park, no, I mean, it's not Barrows anymore, it's a shame, it's still no, Miss Barrows. It's now the Mid Market. Mid Market, and upstairs yeah. is a furniture store, expensive mm. stuff. But it used to be a fantastic pub. And uh, um, driveway was a bit of a hill, mm. so we decided to make a jump there, and it spilled out onto the street. They needed, like, you come off the jump, and you've got to pull up real quick. Mm. Otherwise, you're out on in Caltech service mm. station. <laughs> so there's a really so, 
Oh, sorry. So, yeah, right. So, um, so we set that up, and um, there was an old um, Ford Escort panel van. I can't remember who owned that, and we parked that up in the jump, so you kind of had to jump over that as well. Um, and Danny Meyer, Danny Kiwi Meyer, total snowboard legend, legend from yeah. New Zealand. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I can. I got other stories about him too back in the day at Mount Hart. But anyway, um, it was a sketchy jump, man, and he. He had a bit of a sketch on his running and landed really badly and then slammed into a bit of 4 by 2 that we had there for whatever reason so and ended up going... Uh, like hit but, he hit butted some cameras, man's camera as well as yeah. he slammed. Yeah, yeah. I think Guy Olsey whisked him away to the hospital. Holy whatever, shit, Guy Olsey's someone I want to have Yeah, 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 you got to get on the guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> Another funny fella. Oh man, so I remember there's a really iconic picture of Denny Bevan doing a rodeo in mm. New Zealand snowboarder, and he's above the Celtic Denny. sign. And yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Man. It was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous jump, but the boys were going hard. Mm. And Russell Rodell, who's still, I was speaking at the boardhouse time. Yeah, and Russell Rodell um, was importing ride snowboards and selling them out of his shop and out of a few shops in New Zealand. And um, he got some of the American pros over. They were riding right at the time. So was that the OG um, ride to, like, Jake Blattner and Russell Winfield and those dudes? Russell didn't come over, but um, Blattner and a couple other dudes. So you had Jason Ford. Jason Ford and a couple other young guys. And they all entered the comp. Like, right. that was Russell's thing to promote himself yeah. and his thing, you know. But they just thought it was too sketch. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck that. And <laughs> I've heard stories. I think I've seen somewhere Dino massive. Johnston talking about Dino. how, like, the pros <laughs> would be sketched out and Ollie Burke would just strap up, drop in, yeah, yeah. and just huck his meat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 100%. Um, and the crazy thing was, the All Blacks were playing at the time, so the Blue Pub, it was at the Blue Pub in their car park, and the Blue Pub was full of all the rugby people. I love the rugby as well, but it was overflowing. No, Monica. Uh, in Monica. Um, right. So, um, Barrows, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was f- overflowing with people. People that were there to watch the big year and people there to watch the rugby. I think All Blacks were playing Wallabies. We, no doubt we won. Mm. So it was a big yeah. night. And that yeah. was the start. That was the start, man. That put the World Hattie Challenge on the map, worldwide mm. map. People were like, what is this? I remember the Big Ears becoming quite the event when they were up in Lismore Park a few yeah, years yeah. later. Like, yep. my homies would drive up from Dunedin specifically to watch it. And yep, and, and Harrow was awesome. He'd get, being an Australian, he had contacts in Australia with bands and stuff, and we had some mm. amazing bands playing. So we'd have the, the scaffolding set up with this nasty, narrow, skinny run into this big gap jump. And then on the back of the landing, there'd be like a quarter pipe, which went up to the face of the mm. stage that the yeah. band was playing at. <laughs> I remember... It was awesome! The first time I seen that was 99, my first season at Cadrona. Mm. And uh, and I was just tripping, because like, whoa, Devin Walsh just did like a misty flip or something. Devin Walsh, yes. And, uh, and Grinspoon was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember... They like, had a fight. They had a fight <laughs> on stage. So remember, me and my friends were all like, Far "Hey, Grinspoon, this is this is so cool!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the music stopped, and yeah, we turned yeah. around just as we heard this gong, and we watched the bass player wrapping his bass around yeah. the singer's head, knocked yeah. him off stage. Yeah. Like, I guess that's that. Yeah, that <laughs> was that, and that kind of sucked for us because we, they, they cost like twenty grand or something, and they did about three Holy songs shit. and all and the way over. And it turned out it was <laughs> over a girl. I mean, because we were all rock and roll cliche. <laughs> yeah, man, fuck, that was fun times. 
And yeah. And I think Sam Duvall won that with a nine hundred. That I year. can't remember. Probably um, something like that. Yeah, because Sam, yeah, it's another Queenstown boy. He was a good rider. Mm, like and Denny. All those sub twenty groms, like yeah, the sub twenty crew, Glenn Leggett, Glenn Leggett, and he's still around. I still see Glenn occasionally. I, he's supposed to be coming on in a few weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't wait to speak to him. Yeah, man, he's like, funny. He'll have some stories. Yeah, He'll have all the Queenstown stories. Yeah. Those groms were fucking mischief. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> far out. We're yeah, going I, down a rabbit hole I, now. I, I heard stories <laughs> like that. That's fucking good though. Um, so like. Speaking of Barrows, like first time mm. I ever went there was the '96 Nationals prize giving, oh. and and it was like Ooh. hilarious carnage. Like and those oh, Queenstown, yeah. those Queenstown grommets <laughs> were like so fucking ruckus. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was <laughs> moshing before the band even started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band then, was freaking out because there's no the, stage. And then the so Barrows <laughs> put all their bounces in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah. And everyone just started doing circle pits around the yeah, bounces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember that dude won the um, board that was the prize, the, the hammer board for the prize? And everyone oh. was so hyped they picked him up and then he got like literally chucked down the stairs with his board. I, and- <laughs> you know what? That's one of the prize giving nights I don't really remember much. <laughs> Because they were always big nights. Because <laughs> I, I was, I was like sixteen, and my dad was with me. Yeah, and he was just laughing his ass off. Yeah, the whole it was time. funny, man. Barrows was awesome because all those juniors—they were all like from thirteen to maybe seventeen-year-olds. Yeah. they was, shouldn't even have been in there. <laughs> but everyone's on it. Yeah. It was and, awesome uh, back in the day. I just remember being so hyped as like a starstruck grommet. Like I was in the mosh pit, like between Ollie Brunton and Spy getting demoed. Be like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all the heroes are here. Yeah. This is it. This is New Zealand snowboarding right here. Yeah, it started out like a scar band. It was cool and everyone was bouncing. Yeah. And then the second set, they played punk rock and everyone just fucked each other up. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, had, um, we had two or three prize givings at Barrows and uh, all of them are legendary mm. massive massive yeah. nights really good <laughs> so you were more uh, Wanaka based than Queenstown based yeah I didn't really them. spend any time in Queen. it was funny eh? it's kind of like it's almost like the um, Cadrona and Treble Cone kind of rivalry yeah, it's yeah. like Wanaka and Queenstown like yeah. us that live in Wanaka we don't go to Queenstown <laughs> Spring, Springfield and Shelbyville yeah 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 that's right <laughs> so, yeah. so we hardly judging? went over there well, sorry, um, you're right. with your judging, did you have much to um, do with like Spy and Ewan and um, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, because right. um, um, a lot of the events, um, the big events in New Zealand for snowboarding, um, especially back then, were all happening at Cadrona. Mm. And then Snow Park came in for a while, uh, for about four or five years maybe. And then it was just Cadrona, it was all Cadrona. Cadrona's got world class, world class freestyle arena going on there. Um, and they've got a very good um, events department, and Spy's been running that for a while, and Spy does his job really well. Really well. Um, and Ewan has always been part of the scene as well. He's always helping out wherever he can on that mountain in lots of different roles. Um, so, yeah, I've had lots of dealings with those boys over the years with the events. Back in the day also, Nigel Kerr, who's now the manager of Coronet Peak, was very much involved in the events, and he was mm. really good to work with. 
Yeah, I, I remember when I started there, he was the marketing manager. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, I just have a lot of very vivid memories of him on closing day. Being like, holy shit, that's the marketing manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've got some stories as well about a few of them managing, but we won't go there. Well, Again, when we do the crime scene podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll or, do a crime scene episode <laughs> once, one, <laughs> once people might decide they like this, who knows. Um, a name we haven't talked about that I think we've got to is Dino Johnston. Oh, Dino. Like, like, holy shit. Well, I was going to wear my chop t-shirt. I've got an old one. It's got a few holes in it now, but it's one of my faves. I mean, like, one of the first shops in New Zealand, ripping snowboarder mm. and chop, like, yeah. the dominance of chop. Like, yeah. Um, my first memory of seeing him was in, like, 95 Halfpipe. Yep. And stuff. And, and he'd be wearing a shirt, a collared shirt, like a wine shirt, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but, like, ripping it. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it's just like, holy shit, like, fuck, yep. talk, like, man, we got to talk about Dino. Dino, like, man, so, um, very much fun of the TC crew, so he didn't come mm. to Cadrona much, but when he did, he just ruled it. Yeah. He just, he hardly ever, hardly ever saw him at Cadrona, but when he was at Cadrona, he's just so fast. I remember doing a run with him, I couldn't keep up. I was going as fast as I could, and I ride pretty fast, and I couldn't keep up. Hmm. And he was doing hits the whole time. Like, anything he saw that looked like he could launch, he was hitting them. Hmm. Things that I would never even have thought about. But I still couldn't even keep up to him. He was just going that hard and fast. Um, So Dino and and his lovely lady, Hayley, um, I met them a long time ago. This was when I was still in Methan, and I I went up to um, Tuaroa. And I think I hired a board of them. They had a, they were in, in a little shop in tu, in uh, Oakuni. Uh, Borderline or something, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and they were early nitro people as well. Mm. And um, so I hired um, a board of them so I could have a day up at Tura. The first time I met those crew, and Haley had dreads, and I'm like, fuck, these guys are cool. Mm. And next thing, they're in Wanaka, and they came out of Wanaka to live, and they're still here now. And um, yeah, he, he really stood out amongst the crew as a cool cat, really good DJ, amazing music that he's got in this collection of music. And um, he just started making beanies for the crew and he called it Chop. Mm. It was just a simple name, Chop. And everyone was everyone was wearing Chop. Everyone was had Chop hats. And then they opened the shop and they had Chop hats and they had Chop t-shirts and all these funky other brands that they were getting in. Because you'd see like dudes like Denny Davis and yeah, like yeah, Tora yeah. Bright like yeah. was... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll Tora refra- Bright. I'll re- we need to talk I'll, about her as well. I'll rephrase rephrase that. Uh, writers like Danny Davis and Tora Bright, like yeah. ripping chop and all that stuff yeah. too. It was like, yeah. holy shit! Like, yeah, man, that's because, massive. Because Dino, he 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 was he was one of the best snowboarders in New Zealand. Mm. He didn't really compete that much, but he he'd jump in half pipe and not taking it seriously. Like he'd have a Hawaiian fucking shirt on, yeah. a collared shirt. But he always placed in the top 15 because mm. he was good. But free riding and up at Treble Cone just on a different that, level, eh? That rock, he's got the Frontside 360 mm. sequence off. Mm. That should be named after him. It should be yeah, yeah, Dino's yeah, yeah, Rock. Yeah, Dino's Rock. And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. Brent Screen calls it Dino's Rock. Yeah. But yeah. like it's got, you know... Like, he had he had, um, had some horrific injuries because he just goes hard, mm. and he had this really horrific injury one, and he smashed his face up on this rock on the landing. Um, and you know what? It was only as soon as he could, he was back on the snow, going as hard as ever. Didn't yeah. slow down. Didn't just, slow him down. Still got hard out. 
Yeah. Stoked to be there, dude. So you yeah. were saying Tora Bright, you had one. Oh about yeah, Tora, Tora Bright. So this is one of the big year going back to the Halley Challenge. Yeah. One year we had I think it was the last big year we did and it didn't really that work was out. Down, it was down, down the, the valley. valley. Yeah. Just at the start of Cadrona Valley on a farm. Mm. And it was kind of a weird everyone was standing on a bit of a uh, angle, mm. so it didn't really work out so well. But anyway, I've gone there at about three and o'clock in the afternoon just to make sure everything's cool. Um and um, there was people already turning up. I think the competition didn't start till about seven or, or something at night, but there's already people turning up. And um, I'm standing. I, I walked up to the top and I looked down. I'm like, "Fuck, that's massive!" It was a massive jump. Hey, I'm like, "Wow, I don't think I would do that." And then I'm, I'm down the bottom, and it was a big gap, and I'm standing in a gap, and I was directing people because punters were coming along to watch, and they were walking straight through the gap or over the landing area and oh, like no 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 because yeah, people because right. some of the crew are practicing yeah so i'm standing there and i'm just you know telling people to go around go around there i'm standing there and there's this little grommy up the top i'm like who's that some little kid there's this little kid mm. little kids come flying down stomped the three it was a grab pulled up right in front of me it was this tiny little blonde beautiful little blonde girl and she's had a big grin on her face. I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And it was Tora Bright. And she, she was probably about 12 or something. Probably the first time anyone had heard of Tora Bright. Yeah, yeah, and I think I was, so. I was, I was at that competition, yeah, like, yeah. watching. Yeah. I just remember Quentin Robbins doing like the best backside 180 I'd ever seen. Quentin Robbins has got no fear. Mm, he, he won that one. Yeah, like, he's... And I've seen him do some massive ears with gnarly landings mm. and just landing like a cat, boom, and riding out of that. That dude's wow. oh, incredible, incredible. Probably yeah. be a tie between either him, maybe Will J's had a longer career, but fuck, he's a long career as a professional snowboarder. Will J. But I remember, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Quentin Robbins doing that backside one. Yeah. Glenn Liggett shotgunning beers before he'd drop in. <laughs> and because they had some, uh, some that was Pulsate, that had the, uh, oh. they had the Pulsate girls with the microphones, and everyone was kind of irritated by them. Yeah. And Steve Ferguson, like, stole the microphone off one of the girls. And I don't know what he was saying into it, but he was, like, ranting or yeah. something. But, yeah. but I was just like, oh, this is pretty cool. But I think that thing I just remember the most was Quentin Robbins backside one it was like yeah. holy shit yeah. like yeah, so man. dope I saw Quentin Robbins up at Cadrona once it must have been around in Nationals time because he, he is a, a Canterbury boy so he's always up at Hutt and Clubbies and that and we'd only see him down here when there was an event on like the mm. Nationals for instance which he quite often would be in the top three um, so he was just he was just free riding up at Cadrona and there's um, the wind fence down by McDougal's chair. Yep. On, on your skier's left sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Skier's yeah. left, yeah. Looker's right. Um, and just beyond that, there's a cat track that goes down and comes down to um, another lift, which is further down. I don't know. I can't remember what it runs. What is now White Star Lift. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going up White Star Lift with... Um, Nick Woolley, who was had a lot of potential, but um, he didn't carry on with the snowboarding. But um, anyway, me and Nick are going up the lift. Nick's about sixteen, and next thing we see, Nick's just gone look, look, and Quentin has gone come flying down next to that fence, f- launched over top of the cat track, doing Mac ten, 
got like a hundred footer ear landed on a off-piece slope where a skier just happened to be traversing across missed her head by Holy from where shit. we were it looked like that. it was like oh shit it must miss by inches bro and he's just landed and then rode out of there and we're on the chair just losing our shit i'd never seen anything like that before in my life was that that run that you take did he get that run that you take from patrol the patrol building yeah 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 holy shit yeah man he's an amazing snowboarder he must have just straight lined from christ and then just i think no and no spotter so you know (laughs) naughty Naughty Queen. Naughty, but wow. I think, well, that was one of those things that you'll never forget. That like, was amazing. While we're on the subject of Quentin Robinson halfpipe or Cadrona, we sort of need to talk about the dominance that Ollie Brunson and Quentin Robbins had oh, as yeah. the unit yeah. snowboards crew. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was pretty much accepted if one of those dudes was rolling up, one of them was going to win. Yeah. Like, and Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think um, Ollie won a, f- a few of the half-pipe events. He was very good in the half-pipe. Um, yeah, those boys were just on a different level, and they got together a bit of a business plan, started their own snowboard label called Unit, which mm. was which were made by John Malcolm Smith, who was also a fantastic mm. snowboard creator, uh, Kiwi boy. Um, haven't seen him for ages. He went to WA. Never mm. to be seen again. Yeah, because he was making boards and luggage for a while. That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I was such a fan of ribcage was his label. Up, eh? Yeah, really like, good boards. Ribcage. I had a ribcage mm. for a while. It lasted ages. It was strong as kept its camber. Good board. Mm. Um, so he was making unit snowboards for mm. Ollie and Quentin. And they, yeah, you know, I mean, it's pretty out of it. Like that idea was born on Katrina Halfpipes and TC side hits. Yeah, yeah. And then they went on to become like a. Force. They ran. They did a really good ad. Internationally so there too. was a two-page ad in New Zealand Snowboarder magazine, and it had Magoo um, launching one of the rocks up at Triple Cone. I can't mm. tell you the name of the rock, but it was a great a big air mm. with snow flying yeah. behind and, and everything. And it was just a beautiful. Twin fifty-three base graphic. Yeah, I mean that was so. Sick. Yeah, it was yeah. a great photo. And then in the next issue, I think it was um, Quentin and Ollie. I mean, Quint, yeah, Quinn and Ollie put in their unit ad exactly the same thing, but they photoshopped their, one of their old vans yeah. and the side doors open and they're bailing out. Oh, right. So it was quite so a symbolic. They were kind of like, you know, mm. and, and um, I remember Magoo wasn't happy about it, um, but it was just like, these dudes are fucking cool, mm. man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that so, I mean, maybe it was symbolic because what Ollie was writing for Burton and Quentin was Sims. That's right. That sort of That's thing. Right. Yeah. But I, I remember seeing that ad. I, I, yeah. I actually seen it not too long ago and I had yeah, to like screenshot it. Yeah, it'll be in one of your collections somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was such a classic, a, hey? Such a cool ad. Um, <laughs> I remember Ollie saying something along the lines of like people would come up to him actually thinking that that ad was re- like that yeah, they actually yeah, threw they the van it. off and shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. holy shit, dude. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But, um... <laughs> So like, gee, they were good times those years. Man, like, I mean, shit, I was such a fan of unit. Like, I used mm. to make like my own unit T-shirts with a vivid and the black <laughs> yeah. T-shirt. I was <laughs> such a fan. So as soon as I got to like buy boards off Ollie Brunton, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, say, like amazing boards. Like, I did two, three hundred days on one of my Corey boards, mm. and mm. still got its camber. 
Yeah, man. That's totally not right. Yeah, right. Now, though. Yeah, no. Um, so snowboarding these days, like, mm. yay or nay? Like, what do you think about snowboarding these days? Um, well, I think there's still a hardcore crew that just do it because it's fun. Mm. And right from the start, for me, and, and everyone I know that snowboards, that's the, that's the core of it. It's fun, man. Yeah. And it's quite easy to do. That's why it exploded, man. It's like, it's easy. Mm. It's, you don't have to paddle out. It's not like surfing. Um, and the snow's fairly soft. So compared to skateboarding on concrete, it's like, yeah. easy. You know? Um, so it's an easy thing to do. And it's so much fun. And there's a whole social aspect. And that's still happening. Yeah. And that's the core like, of snowboarding. And everyone wants to show off. Everyone wants to get better. Everyone mm. wants to show your mates this is my run yeah. and then check out this air and that you know you might not say it but we are expressing ourselves yeah and 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 that's still happening yeah because so, because that's the core of snowboarding yeah so as long as that's still there it's not gonna be lost or nah. snowboarding's still in good hands yeah yeah I, I think so I think there's still a, a, a few more generations is there any contemporary writers locally or internationally that you follow or pay attention to or um, Travis Rice, of course, because mm. he's just on another level as oh, well. Back oh, country, shit, that dude's so fucking gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Like, Some of those runs that I see on Instagram, there, it's like, wow, it's unreal, man. He's so good, eh? And he just doesn't pause; he just goes. Like, did you, did you were you on Wanaka living in Wanaka when they premiered? That's it. That's all. Yeah. And in, in the town, yeah, in the town, town hall. Center. Yeah. I remember I, I missed the premiere, but Dion was there mm. and he was there with Tanner Hall yep. and they were all just tripping he he rang me during Jeremy, Jeremy Jones part but like check yeah. it out dude yeah. and he was saying like afterwards like Tanner Hall was going to premiere a movie two days later and he was like how the hell can I premiere my movie after that that's the mm. best snow film I'd ever it was, seen it was, it was a, such a great production as well like mm. everything about it the, the filming the aspects the clarity the snowboarding yeah. It's such a good movie. And because and I think a lot of people now sort of associate, like, oh, this National Geographic thing. But it's like, no, nah, man, that's it. That's all. It's yeah. it's a raw dog snowboard film. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. like it, it just can't be underestimated how much impact that had on snowboard snowboarding and snowboard films. For sure. Thing. Like, For sure. It made us all want to be able to do that, but it's out of a lot of our... Uh, reach but it's still it just makes you want to go and, right and eh? I mean shit Snow Park like the best marketing for Snow Park probably ever yeah. was that, yeah, that yeah that's right and the first clap and it's like holy shit <laughs> uh, was any of the local crew following or anything like that or um well um Zoe's um Sadowski's in it so Zoe um I've watched her coming through as a little grommy and very impressed with her right from the start um, was the alley challenge at uh, one stage we were doing a young guns thing so we were inviting some young up and comers oh, yeah. skiers and snowboards like the the Billis boys who are great skiers yeah so we had up had them alley them up the hill um, just so they could show us what they could do which is mm. great um, and we had um, there was the one season where Zoe and her brother came up as well uh, Dylan Dylan yeah, yeah. and um and I just thought, oh, it's Zoe girl, okay. And uh, and then she just went leaps and bounds. And one of my favourite competitions that I've worked on over the years is the Junior Nationals. 
Oh yeah. Um, so I've judged the skiing and the snowboarding, predominantly the snowboarding side of things. But um, they start from like three-year-olds, so haven't even been walking long, and they're yeah. on skis or on snowboarding. It's so <laughs> cool to watch, man. It's so good. Um, um, but I've I've seen some of those competitors. There's hundreds of them, and there's maybe ten of them that have come through and become world-class skiers and snowboarders, which is yeah. awesome to see. I love that. And Zoe is one of them. And there's um, one season in the Junior Nationals. It's not that long ago, because she's still only young. I think she's only 19. And I think she might have been 15 or something. And she was already rolling it. Mm. Anyway, uh, Junior Nationals. And she had a bad day, but she still won. Because <laughs> um, she was that good. She's yeah. on another level. And her dad, Sean, said to me afterwards, he goes, I guess, oh, you know, because it was, it was starting to cost him money because she wanted to compete in, internationally and everything. Yeah. So he was... She didn't have the sponsorship yet, so Dad's having to lay out a lot of money. Yeah. So Dad says to me, he goes, you reckon she's up to it, Heike? I'm like, bro, she rode like shit today, and she won. So, yeah. 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 Two years later, well, well, I can gold, uh, bronze medal at the Olympics. <laughs> what, what, what's her riding like shit? Is that our, like, oh, I wish I could ride like that sort of thing? Like, uh, you know, yeah, like, well, it's, it's just her landing. She just kind of blew her landing. Oh, right. and, and on a judging, on a judging point of view... The landings is as important as all the rest of everything that you're doing on the snow, yeah. you know. And um, back in the day, a lot of people were just hucking, yeah. and it was an amazing trick, but then they crashed the landing. But it was cool, but no, that's not cool. In competition, you got to nail the whole lot, you got to complete it, which mm. includes the landing, of course. Yeah. And on that day, she just wasn't getting her landings, but her tricks were that good that she was just, she um, won anyway. And then now we have this powerhouse snowboarder Zoe Sinner yeah yeah. oh sweet so do you still snowboard much these days and judge oh or? man um, so the judging I kind of judging is a thing where you got to be really passionate about it and you yeah. got to follow the snowboarding religiously and watch the videos or online and watch because it's continually evol- evolving like the tricks yeah. they're continually evolving so you got to be passionate you got to be up to speed with it and I was for a number of years but I kind of can't say I lost interest in it, but I lost my passion. Yeah. Um, and I remember the last World Cup event that I did up at um, Cadrona, and I wasn't. I was really nervous about it. And Ola said, "We need a Kiwi judge." And there was no one else at the time um, that was qualified to work at a World Cup event. He said, "We need a Kiwi judge on the panel because wherever they go, um, these events, whether it's um, Slovakia, whatever, they got to have a person from that country on the panel." And an American and a Japanese, whatever it might yep. be. So I ended up, and I was really nervous about it because I'd lost touch with the spins. The spins were suddenly becoming a big part of it, and I couldn't tell if they're doing a 540 or a 7, you know. It's like, ah. And it's, it's important, it's a judge, you've got to be spot on. Because mm. when you're judging, you're making notes in shorthand while you're watching, and then you've got to come up with a score and then put it in on the keypad and so there's a lot of pressure pretty high stress environment high yeah. stress environment and we've got the world's best like Sean Weiss and whatnot. and you've got to get it right you, mm. you've got to get it right you know even though it's a panel of five judges and they drop the lowest score and the high score and the others are combined but um, I was just really nervous about it because I wasn't that passionate about it anymore so um, he said, we'll do a quick practice. We watched him in practice, and I, I was scoring his watching me. I was super <laughs> nervous, like having a teacher standing behind you, watching you doing your thing, you know. Um, and I actually, I, I nailed it. 
was surprised myself. I got it right. I got the spins right on that. So I was on the panel, but that was the last World Cup I did. Um, I, did I, I, I had to tell him. I had to be true to myself and also to the competitors. I don't want to be up there doing a half-assed job. It's yeah. really important. These guys are working hard as athletes to get to the top. And if someone that's judging them is not doing their job right, that's totally unfair on them. So I kind of stepped away from the judging, especially the international judging, but I was still love to be involved in like the junior nationals and whatnot. Sort of the more funner. More events. fun, but well, even so, yeah, one, man, it's like that upper age group. Wow, that like, world some class. Of those, some of those parents are out for blood too. Wow, well, that's the thing I don't right, like eh? about the yeah. junior nationals. The parents, the parents mm. like, Johnny did this and Johnny did that. I went, like, no, he didn't. Here's my judge's notes. He fell. Mm. He didn't get that grab, and that spin was counter rotated. And you know, oh, I watched it. I got it on video. <laughs> I'm like, well, I've got five judges, and they've all put down the same thing. So yeah. sorry, man. It's hard, yeah. man. Yeah. Parents, and I, 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 I get it, but at the same time, I was like, come on, dude, wake mm. up. Yeah. She blew yeah. it. She didn't ride well at all. And they're supposed to be enjoying themselves, like yeah, yeah, settle, yeah. Settle the and the kids out. ain't care. The kids are having fun, but mum mm. and dad are like I had, not happy. I had one parent one <laughs> year tell me that uh, they fell because of my tuning. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. sure they didn't just fall because they were ten and they're still figuring <laughs> things out? Yeah. Like, no, no, they're the best skier on the mountain. It's like yeah. But the Wells boys are up here today. They're pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's you realise right. who you're comparing? Yeah, I had, a, I, had a, I had a, a dude years ago in the snowboard nationals, and I was flatting with them. And um, it was a husband and wife. I'm not going to mention any names, but mm. um, some people will know. Ollie will know because Ollie came 23rd, and this oh, other guy Ollie came. Burke. Yeah, Ollie I came say. 23rd, and this other dude came 24th, and he. Man, I got home after big because judging's hard on it's tiring, man. The brain, it's just hard work on the brain. So, mm. in the day, I'm exhausted and I get home and he just laid into me because he came <laughs> really? 24th. Really? Like, it doesn't matter. You came 24th, it doesn't matter. But I did a better run than Ollie. And Ollie came 23rd. I'm like, it doesn't matter, does it? He was really angry. He was about, I thought he was going to punch me. Get over it. You're oh, not even that good. Well, you came 24th. Well, what? Might have to uh, <laughs> ask Ollie for a bit more enlightenment on this one at some point. <laughs> yeah, funny. But you know, um, going back to the June nationals and like you know, the parents can be hard work. But um, one thing that I'll never forget, and it was a skier, and it was this little girl. She was probably three or four, and coming through the little um, park with a few little rails and had little jumps, and she's got mum with her, so mum's holding on to her. So the little girl's between mum's skis going down the course. And us judges, uh, near the end of the course, we could see the whole thing from top to bottom, and near the end, there was a long um, flat box um, rail. And this grommy, this mum's lifted her up, mum's straddling the box. Yeah. And the grommy's just kind of switched side on, and was sliding along with mum, and the grommet saw us judges. We were right there, and she gave us the... Oh, the, the devil, devil horns. The devil horns. <laughs> she was like three years old, and we just went... Winner! <laughs> and so she won in her age group, and oh, she's on and uh, handing out the medals, and she's on the podium, and she's done it again. It was so good. Oh, that's it was right so there, good. Eh? And those Holy are the things shit. I love about yeah. the sport, whether it's skiing or snowboarding. It's just those moments, and it's just pure love of it. Yeah, you know? it's so mm. good. So, do you still get out and ride for yourself much? Snowboarding? As much as I can. Unfortunately, last winter, the whole COVID year, two thousand nine. Uh, 2020 yeah I um 
I was in a bit of a weird situation, like a lot of us were, and I didn't even get to the snow for the first time in 30 years. I didn't even see the snow. Holy shit. So, so I was up on the west coast of north, uh, south on, like high up on the west coast of south on. I saw some snow way in the distance on some of the mountains and the ranges, but I didn't get to the snow for the first time, and I was really sad about it. And I was watching everyone on Instagram, all the Wanaka crew and the Mount Hutt crew and that, and there was some, of course, they always put up the best photos of the best days. Yeah. Um, so I've heard varying reports about last season. Some go, oh, yeah, there's some awesome days, but there's lots of shit in between. Yeah. So I didn't feel so bad about it because I was feeling really sad about it at one point. I was thing, like, oh, no. I think it depends what side of the counter you're on as to yeah. whether it was the best year or not. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I just kept reminding myself of, like, the three times I rode powder like alright that it was worth it for that mm. <laughs> but mm. it was a gnarly season for a yeah. yeah so um, so this year I'm super keen I'm actually really seriously looking at moving back to Wanaka soon and I'm going to I'm going to hit the, the snow heaps Rab, this year we're going to have some more of the OGs back in town yeah yeah I'm going to hit so. it hard this year I'm keen as fizzing on it I've got new binding what step on bindings bought new bindings and boots I splurged <laughs> out I was like wow it's like a thousand dollars I was so skeptical oh, of those because I remember yeah. stepping bindings of the nineties. Oh yeah, they, they were terrible. Didn't they were terrible. But, um, the boots were really uncomfortable and the bindings didn't work properly. And they broke and it was just mm. an ugly design. So this was at the time when I was working in the boardhouse for Russell and he was a um, ride importer and mm. ride decided to do their version. Yeah. So Burton had done it, and then it was K two, the horrible the clicker, clicker things, ones, yeah. and there was a, a Shimano one, and they were just shit, you know. Um, and Ride did one. They they hooked up with a company called Device, yeah. And the device binding was very much like the Burton step on is now. So they had a high back, and I had a pair. They were, they were the only pair in New Zealand, and I had them. And fantastic boots. These um, um, Ride boots, Summit really good boots and I got about 300 plus days out of those right. and I still got the bindings and they were epic there's like a little hook at the front on the binding and underneath your sole under your toes there's like a little cavity with a pin across so you'd slip that in to the hook on the binding and then just put your heel down and it would just click in so remember so I easy and it was yeah. great I'd, I'd be on the chair lift and I've got my back foot ready in place and I'd step off the chair and go click and right off it's so um, good well that, that must have been the only step in system that worked in the 90s yeah and I, I rode them I'd still be riding them now but the boots blew out unfortunately like I said I got about 300 days out of them and the sole came off and that's no, they're a very important yeah. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and of course, they weren't making them at all anymore, so I couldn't get boots. So I remember a homie of ours, he had the clickers, and mm. we were still waiting for him. We'd all strapped in, we were still waiting for him to clear his shit out. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Spice, where's Spice Step-Ons? Yeah, yeah, so and, I, um, yeah. That sort of thing. I've, and, you know, I checked them last year, and last year I was kind of keen, but they were sold out immediately. Couldn't yeah. get them anywhere. No one get them. I went to Jay, nah. Um, cheapskates, so they've always been looking after me. They they like nah, we we've got nah. Cheapskates Wanaka's been supporting you for quite a while. Um, cheapskates Christchurch, cheapskates who Christchurch. actually own the Wanaka store as well. Right, and yeah. so who are the founders of Cheapskates? Uh, Mark Brown and Bill Taylor. Right, and Mark Brown's um, 
quite a surfy style snowboarder from back in the day. Yeah, thing. yeah, he's he's, he's yeah. got an unusual style. I'll leave it at that. Right, right. No, <laughs> but I've, he's a really good man, and him and Bill had they had the vision, you know, and they mm. just they just went with it. They just went and with it. Were they behind five forties as well? Um, so that... Bill's wife started doing five forty. So Bill Bill Taylor's wife um, Bronwyn, she is a by profession a seamstress i suppose you call them yeah um oh yes right she had a a business called second skin and she was doing like women's fashion leather stuff like leather skirts and whatnot and she just stepped into the snowboard clothing scene and did really good quality gear for all the new guys that may or may not ever listen to this uh 540s was an extremely iconic new zealand outerwear brand yeah some of the best Ollie Brunton, Spy Dunbar, so Joel Westcott, Joel Westcott, Trevor Ponting, Trevor Ponting, yeah, for, yeah, Trev, yeah. Boy. Um, yeah, I mean, shit, there was such a landscape of outerwear brands made by New Zealanders back then. Yeah, sub twenty, sub twenty, uh, Huffer dudes. So sub twenty in five, I think five forties. The first was um, stick scare. So Dave Partridge's Dave. wife. She started making snowboard clothing. This is way back, 89 or something. And so I was selling it out of the shop in, in uh, Methven, Sticks Gear. And it was basic, but it worked. Kept you yeah. dry, kept you warm. Um, yeah, that was cool. And then 540s came along, and then not long after that, um, Sub 20. Mm. And the Sub 20 gear was really um, casual, and it was like canvas. And when it got cold and that, it got really stiff. But so, man, it was, it was like the cool brand. So, so everyone was going for the sub twenty. Sub twenty sort of reflect that first wave of new school gym yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. They sponsored a massive Queenstown crew. You know, yeah. All the Queenstown crew freestyle rippers were all on sub twenty. Yeah, and that was um, Debbie O'Hagan and Lucas Solos. So yep, that's started right. Started that. That's and right. Yeah. I'm hoping um, once I get a few of these, I'll reach out to Debs and Debs. Yeah, she's, she's still around. She's in Queenie. And if Luca ever comes this way or something, yeah, I think he's in Ibiza. He's oh. been in he's been in Bali for a number of years. Right. He's a surf instructor. Yeah. And the last thing I've seen about him, he's been spending a bit of time in Ibiza. Don't know what's doing. He's right. an artist. He's a really good artist. Right. Right. Check yeah, him out on Instagram. I don't think I'll be able to get over there anytime soon. No. But well, what do you got? Is there anything else I'm missing here? Oh, I mean, there's lots of stuff, <laughs> hey, But right now, I've just gone a little bit. We will, sounds like we might have to Where have a, to? a round two and a round three. Yeah, absolutely. Here, hey, and we got to do that crime scene one because there's some stories, <laughs> man. It'll be the R-rated, the R-20. we'll try and get a few under our belt before we get shut down yeah. then. Yeah, yeah, there's been some great, great, great times. Um, well, actually, talking about snowboards is a, a cool little subject I just want to touch on now. So um, I see you've got a great collection here of a, a variety of brands. Oh, yeah. um, and I've ridden a lot of different boards myself, and unfortunately, I sold all, all of them. I kept just—I could never afford to keep one to get a new one. I had to yeah. do a trade-in or whatever, or sell that one to somebody, so I had a bit of money to buy a new one. Mm. Um, but for a while there, um, Seamus Barton Guy Olsey were the Burton dealers in New Zealand, yeah. and they looked after the crew. It was awesome. And um, so, especially my Mount Hut years, so I was riding Burton for a little while. Um, so I, I think I bought my first one and they just kept giving me boards so it's awesome this is where we give a shout out to Guy Alty Guy Seamus yeah, Seamus, yeah. Around. yeah yeah got on your lads so you, they looked after the crew eh? it was good mm. um, and 
um, rode nitros and oh, a number of different boards. Ribcage, that was a really good board. I should have kept that board. Um, and right now, I've still got an old Burton Triumph 164, which is like a, a free ride board, and it's about 10, maybe more years old, but it still goes. It's, so it's, it's unreal. The Daily Driver. Yeah, that's one that I quite often go to. Oh, and I picked up a, a 2J T7 when I was in Melbourne. Oh, so they don't make those anymore. Nah, nah. And, yeah. and that board is mean. Sweet. Awesome. Stiff as, bit narrow for me, but I just ride with a bit more angle and it's an awesome board. So I'm pretty sure that's what Dino was riding when I last seen him ride. It was like a T6 or something. It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's just stiff, gnarly stiff, camber. And... short, narrow, <sighs> handle yeah. everything. Ah, uh, sweet. Good. So we'll wrap this one up. All right. Then. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do our enders. Um, we quick fire there. Uh, favorite rider? Oh, man. Favorite rider. That's hard. I'm going to oh, go. Oh, yeah. We start with the hard one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go way back and go Seamus. Seamus Butt. Seamus Butt. He was a style pilot, man. Way back in the day. I'm talking about 1990 and 1991 at Mount Hutt. And, and he had tie dye gear on. He had dreads and doing big ears methods and whatnot and he really he came out first so yeah yeah so famous nice yeah. favorite mountain Ooh, that's also hard <laughs> one. it depends on the day yeah i've had amazing days at treble cone i've had amazing days at Cadrone. i've had amazing days at mount hutt i've had amazing days at olympus i even had a good day at fucking mount hotham in australia oh man so it depends on it's very much on the day i'm open I'm very open-minded. You know, some people are just in a closed box, and it's all about TC. Yeah. Everything else sucks. Yeah. So it's all about Cadrona. And, and but I'm I'm open to anything that's thrown at me. And one of my favourite places to ride is Mount Albert, which we've been to a number of times. Was the Halley Challenge, and that's um, at the top end of um, Lake Wanaka when you're heading towards Makarora. Amazing terrain up there. There's some fantastic photos. Um, Will Jay, there's some great photos of Will Jay out there. It's one of his faves as well. I've seen him go back there a few times with oh, yeah. photographers and that because it's just oh, yeah. great terrain up there. Shit, like lots I mean, of snow. Fat Albert, we call it. There's always a shitload of snow. Um, <laughs> favorite board? Um, probably go back to that T7. Was it a T6? I can't remember. Anyway, that, that's been an outstanding board. And one that I rode, it was a 168. So I was riding a Burton Supermodel 68, which I loved. Mm. And then um, I, there was a fellow here in Wanaka a few years ago who worked at Good Sports. He's a bit of an odd dude. And he was sponsored by some random snowboard company from Europe. Can't remember the name. And I bought his 168, and it was a beautiful board. Oh, so nice for my style of riding. Yeah. And favourite video part? Oh, I'd have to go with Travis Rice's videos. Yeah. So many parts of that, I can't name one. But, yeah, mm. fairly unfuckwithable. Yeah. Uh, favourite gig? Oh, <laughs> Japan. Uh, judging in Japan. Yeah. Woo! I got a really mean story. We might save that for next one. Next one? Oh, well, I can tell you now. Bust, bust it out. All right. Yeah. So, okay, okay this, I'll start back. So, um, that's right. So, we all got certified as FIS judges. Ola came over. This was in, when was that? 99. And then, um, next thing, there was like, there was Stan Webster, um, um, Gene. Gene I can't remember Gene's surname. 
and myself, there might have been one other person, I can't remember now. Um, and next thing, us three got emails from FIS if we're available to judge overseas at these World Cup events, and of course we're like, here. Yeah. And so Jean did um, the American circuit, because she was going to be over there anyway, um, standard Europe, and I went to Japan and did two events in Japan. Um, in 99, I was flatting with um, Julianne Bray and her boyfriend at the time, and we had no money, man. We were living on two-minute noodles, and occasionally we'd buy a can of tuna to throw in it just to make it better. But we were snowboarding every day. It was all about snowboarding. And she had just got sponsored sponsored by a Japanese company called... Oh, it's Cosmic Surf. Cosmic yeah. Surf. It was just like out of it. Yeah. But she was happy because, you know, they are looking after her and whatnot. So, and... Um, Anyway, next thing, I'm going to Japan. FIS paid for everything, every single, I didn't have to spend a cent. And any money I spent while I was there, I keep the receipts and give it to their accountant at the end and got reimbursed. It was amazing. Got paid for every day that I was away from home. So I was over there for two weeks, but we only had two half-pipe comps, which lasted about four or five hours. So I did about 10 hours work, but I got paid for two weeks. Oh, man. And the contest days, you got paid a big amount. So it was awesome. Food, everything was, the combination was amazing. Um, we were, the first event was up in this funny little place called Santa Present Park. The Japanese are really funny with the way they named things. And there was this, in the summertime, it's a Ferris wheel, which you could see it was half buried in snow and a roller coaster. And a little like putt putt course, and in the winter, it's a snowboard, a ski resort. One chairlift and one T-bar, top to bottom, about thirty seconds, like tiny, but they had mint half pipes. So they won the chance to have a FIS contest. So we were there for about three days, which was long enough because you got bored of that mountain real quick. Um, and then and then we flew from Hokkaido out of Sapporo back down to Tokyo and then all got on buses. There's about the whole, the competitors, there's probably about guys and girls, snowboard, half pipe. Oh, and there was hard booters as well. So there's probably about 60 competitors. But then there's like another 60 people that run the event, like the tabulating dudes and the judges and... Just everyone that runs this thing. So there's a whole convoy of us going down buses to Neighbour Resort. We get to Neighbour Resort and it's massive. And there's like 20 chairlifts and there's a gondola and it's huge. We're like, yes. And we're there for about a week and a half. We rock up at night time and there's night skiing. I get to my room. I've got my own room. And I'm up on the eighth floor and I've got open the curtains and there's floor to ceiling glass. And I'm looking out at the ski, ski field and there's people out there skiing and snowboarding. I open up the fridge and it's full of beer and peanuts and stuff. I'm like, wow. And I had two super king-sized beds and chandeliers was a dimmer. Unbelievable. I was like, what? This is amazing. And, and all us judges got together. We all had our own room. We got together like not long after that and went out for dinner. And we were all just going, wow. And they were like, this is the best they've ever been buffed. Just so that, such a different level over there. Such a, it was so good. They really look after you. They want everything to be 110%. So it was great. Great place. And uh, anyway, on the second um, day we're there, they did a they had a welcoming ceremony for us. So it was a, a big resort with like ten restaurants, all different flavors, and shops and high rise apartments that we were staying in. 
in, in a, a big conference room. So they had a traditional Japanese drums and whatnot, and they had all these tables, all these bottles of sake on them. And they've done the welcoming ceremony, and the head of ski patrol got up and told us off because we were skiing off piece, and they didn't allow off piece skiing. Oh yeah, because like, oh, it was awesome off piece, really good pal. Um, and then, you know, a couple of hours later, it's all over. Everyone's bailed, but hardly anyone had touched the uh, sake. And myself and a couple of German dudes who worked on the tabulating and a French guy just looked at each other and looked at all these bottles and we just grabbed as many as we could and we sat down on the floor in a circle and just started drinking and just talking. It was great. Next thing, I've, I've got to go to the bathroom and busting for a piss. And I stood up and I pretty much stumbled sideways, went flying through these double doors and I bumped into some people and this is a big resort, there's lots of rooms and that, mm. bumped into some people and I'm like, sorry. And next thing someone goes, Heige! I turn around and it was Jew, my <laughs> flatmate, we'd been living on noodles not long before that and then she was there with her sponsors, by right. chance, doing photo shoots. How's the chances of that dude? Yeah. stumbled out of that moment and bumped into some people that were just walking past in the hallway and it was Julianne Bray my old mate Holy and shit. so I said I'm the toilet room 37 she goes I'll see you there so she's come around to my room and then uh, she said let's go and have a feed I'm like yeah I said free free food and she goes what I'm like yeah we're getting buffed so we went down to this restaurant we chose the beer restaurant as in beer that you drink and we sat down at the table and the waiters come over and they're super nice and he goes and so would you like a drink and I'm like yeah we're some beer and he goes would you like some food and they did kind of burgers and stuff like that and I'm like yeah yeah and he goes and how you'll be paying and i had all these um lanyards from the fis you know they kind of get you anywhere and whatnot and i've just reached in my pocket and i've pulled them all out and one fell on the ground and it said fis judge and he looked at it and he goes oh fis judge fis judge and he's just bowing to me and they just laid it on and June and I, like honestly, this is in uh, February, mm, February 99. And in the winter of 98, her and I flattered together and we had no money. Um, and here we were on the other side of the world, just amazing snow, just getting buffed. And we just laughed until we cried. It was so good. That was, that was the best gig. I mean... <laughs> I mean, shit, you can't. It's pretty hard to talk. That was, good, that was a good one, man. That was amazing. Uh, Favourite city? Oh, I like Melbourne and Melbourne. Wellington. Melbourne and Wellington. Wellington is a good city, my favourite city in New Zealand, and uh, especially on a good day, it's amazing. And Melbourne's fucking cool, man. Lots of lots of really good live music in Melbourne. Lots of amazing restaurants and bars and beaches, and yeah, it's a cool city. I like it. Oh, sweet. Yeah, Botanical Botan- Gardens are really good too. Man, favourite trick on the snowboard? I like stalefish. Good stale old stalefish. Yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, favorite board graphic? Oh, Jamie Lynn's. He he did some really cool kind of surf style graphics back in the day. I think this is in the, might be in the late nineties or something for LibTech. Um, really nice graphics. They they always come to my head. Eh? Yeah, I always wanted one. I never I never bought one. I always wanted one. Pretty good graphics. Uh, snowboarder and artist. Very good snowboarder. Yeah, yeah. And best method, funny we segue from Jamie Lynn ah, into that one. But Trevor Ponting. Trevor Ponting. Yeah, yeah. He does have a good method, yeah, eh? And, and unfortunately, that was his downfall because that was his trick, but he never did anything else. So in the half right. pipe, he never won half pipe because all he did was methods. Right. Did him really well, but you need a mixed bag, you know? Yeah. Trev. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Trev, um, I remember reading in like the 95 Nationals or something like, 
he was going bigger than everyone else because he was doing like four hits, but the, which immediately disqualified him. But he didn't care that about his placement. He was just busting bigger than everyone anyway, or something. Yeah, like yeah. Um, Trevor, you have to understand. Trevor is he's a tough man and come from a, a slightly rough um, upbringing, so he can look after himself. And he used to express that in the snowboarding because yeah. snowboarding is very expressive for all of us. I ride around with music always, and if I'm listening to Bob Marley, I'm snowboarding like mm. like I'm like I'm on, you know, like I'm stoned. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm listening to um, ACDC, I'm going hard and fast. Mm. And Trevor expressed himself very much just because of his, his things that are happening in his life, as we as we do, you know. Yeah. Um, so Trevor is quite an uh, an aggressive snowboarder. Mm. So therefore, he would be just going hard and big just to make a point. Right, that's oh, mm. sweet, mm. and a very iconic snowboarder too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I think that wraps up what is uh, sounding to be round one with hygiene. Yeah, hopefully yeah. by hopefully next time it'll be the crime line one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank, yeah, thank you for your time, hygiene. Oh, is there anyone, awesome, bro. Awesome, bro. Anyone Great. you'd like to thank before we peace out? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Brown and Bill Taylor from Cheapskate, so they've always looked after me, eh? Um, in 93 or 94, I got beaten up really badly and put in a induced coma and, and nearly died. Um, and that was, I went down to Dunedin to scope out a shop for them that we were going to open. They wanted me to manage it, so I went down there to scope it and see if I actually wanted to be down there and whatnot. And it was right on New Year's Eve. And I went out New Year's, didn't know anyone, didn't drink much. My girlfriend was a non-drinker. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2004, I think it was, I got beaten up by some bouncer on his way home from work. I don't remember it at all. Actually, that, in that whole year, I've got hardly any memory of that whole year. So I'm very, very lucky to be alive and be able to do what I'm doing. But Mark and Bill, they stood by me, and they waited a year, and then they still gave me that opportunity to open up a shop. So. Mm good on those boys um, and they've always been helpful with um, gear that I need as well um, uh, Tony Ross Dean Arnell that got me into proper snowboarding um, Mike Gibb way back in the day who brought that board back from America that kind of started the, the spark you know um, and just a bunch of really good crew that I've met through snowboarding just so many really cool people that love the outdoors, love the snow, love the mountains, love riding, love having fun. Mean. There's heaps of them. I can't name them all. Sweet. I can't remember half of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sweet. Well, we'll sign off there. This is Side, side Hit Podcast. With Fat Tony signing off. Uh, to you five people out there that might be listening to this, <laughs> thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Cheers, Tony. <laughs>